Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, kids. Uh, happy Wednesday to you. Uh, my name is, uh, well, you know who I am. It's just a game. You know who you are. Um, what happened? You're, what's been going on? You, you guys staying busy? Stuff? You, you got you up, to, you up to date on stuff? Uh, thanks to Cammy Kepke. Thanks to Danny Austin for uh, holding down the fort for me on Monday. Uh, appreciate their work. I thought they did a great job on, uh, on what was a very interesting day, and that conversation will slide into day number two for us. It's been going on for three now. Uh, having said all of that, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. The legend, Bonesaw. Peter Marr is going to join us momentarily. Brent Cron, another legend. In studio, uh, lots to talk about with Croner, especially on the goaltending side, because that seems to be one of the hot topics with this hockey club, uh, away from the general manager and the future of the team and rebuilding and all that crap. Uh, what about Dustin Wolf? What about Markstrom? What about Vladar? So we'll get into that with Croner. Welcome. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. Uh, it is an inclusive show. Everybody is welcome, regardless uh, of of. Wherever you stand, uh, as long as you're not, you don't have hate in your heart, you are always welcome here. Um, we are now officially one game in in the uh, NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. The Stanley Cup playoffs, not the NHL playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, six road teams have won. Six road teams have won game one. Uh, that means we've had technically six upsets based on standings, um, including our good friends in the provincial capital, and our friends in the center of the universe, which allows me to play my single favorite clip of all time because I think it's appropriate. Gav? Far behind. This reporter isn't saying that the burglar is an inhuman monster like the Wolfman, but he very well could be. So, Professor, would you say it's time for everyone to panic? Yes, I would, Kent. Professor says it. Time to panic. Uh, I think the Oilers are okay. I think Dallas is okay. I think uh, Colorado's okay. I, I, I think, you know, Winnipeg played really good last night. Vegas did not. But the one I will say that maybe you should panic, the one that I will say you should perhaps begin to think about um, when you could get tea times might be Toronto. Might be. Might be Toronto. And not because they're not good enough and not because they don't have the ability but because they are in that vacuum of the Toronto media sphere. And now that pressure gets cranked up exponentially. You say what you want about Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. None of it's like Toronto. None of it. 
that that market is going to be setting its hair on fire. They have not enough lighter fluid in Toronto for the amount of hair that's going to be set on fire after last night's debacle against Tampa Bay. And that was, in many ways, Tampa Bay just exercising their beer muscles. Uh, They just know how to do it. They turned it on. Uh, Their blue line's going to be interesting. I thought it it was interesting for a moment there at 3-0. It's 3-2. Here come the Maple Leafs. Nah, it's over. Braden Point, Calgary kid playing a role there. Okay, Uh, Peter Marr coming up. Brent Cron, want to sneak this in couple things um these are criticisms i suppose um but maybe uh, hopefully they're not criticisms they're just kind of where i think i'm a little surprised by members of the media who say they were a little surprised by monday's announcement that brad trilliving was not coming back that it was a mutual parting i am a little bit surprised by the number of people who are surprised by this which which part of this is surprising this was Long talked about, I, I mention all the time on this program, the Freedmans, the Johnsons, the Cervellis of the world had all been talking about a fractured relationship. And nothing was announced last week. You go through a weekend and we're surprised? Sure, general managers don't walk away very often. We'll get into that with Peter Marr. Um, but you didn't, as again, my opinion on this, and you need to know where you're getting your information from. So remember my background. I did work for CSEC for four years. We parted ways in, in October. Um, I really don't have any ill will towards anybody there. I think there's a lot of good people. Um, but I'm not surprised. By the way, Brad was one of those guys. Brad was a... There's a loss in that organization that not a lot of people will understand because of what he did beyond his own uh, privy, beyond his own sphere of influence, beyond his own department. Brad was a really positive leader over there. There's, there's a lot of managers, but they didn't have, they, there's still, you need leaders. And Brad's one of those guys. But again, you need to know where you're getting your information from. So if I sound bitter, twisted, that's, you have to make that decision, not me. Um, I will say this, not surprised at all. The other part that I want to uh, address is who the hell's talking about a rebuild? John Bean gave an answer where he's not allowed to use the word rebuild. And we're all of a sudden discovering this is new news. Sorry, go back and watch Jay Feaster. Jay Feaster said the same thing. Jay Feaster, we're all surprised that this team won't rebuild. Jay Jay Feaster, after they traded again, after they traded Bo Meester, after they had nothing really to show for it, the next season, Jay Feaster said, my job is to make the playoffs. And that became a highlight on TSN. Think Sportsnet covered it. Lots of people, how can you say that? You're rebuilding. My job is to make the playoffs. So why are we surprised and who's talking about a rebuild here? First of all, Huberto, Uyghur, Kadri all have long-term deals. You have uh, Mangiapane. You have the makings of a team that, with the right tweaks. Again, completely underachieved. But I do believe that in the hysteria, which has been the last couple of days around here, and I'll use the word hysteria, that we're chasing some red herrings out there, kids. I thought this was a really interesting clip from a guy who might know um, yesterday on Barn Burner, and I want to play it for you. It's an exchange between the three of them. But the guy who played for one of the guys involved in this drama really had an interesting take. Can you play it for me, Gaff? Daryl's back. I think this does mean Daryl's back. And I think when we heard last week, the rumored amount of money that was on the table remaining on Daryl's contract. And if you look at the history of this organization, 
I don't think this owner was comfortable paying $8 million for a guy not to be here the next two years. I was, I was, I convinced myself that he was back last week. So are you, are you suggesting that Brad's leaving has little to do with his relationship with Daryl? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that it's become vogue to pile everything at Daryl Sutter's feet right now. It's, it's, it's now, become let- the easy out 100%. It's Daryl's fault. It's Daryl's fault. The players hate Daryl. The GM hates Daryl. The organization hates Daryl. Nobody wants to work for Daryl. Yet Daryl's still there, right? Like it, it is very vogue to use Daryl as the. I'm not doing that though. I'm just, I, I'm just thinking from where I'm sitting that the G. Why did the GM leave? So Rhett, who played for Daryl, worked for Daryl. An interesting take. Is this all on Daryl? I believe that the relationship between the general manager and the coach in a working sense was fractured, uh, but I don't think that's all the issue here. Get into it with Peter Marr and Brent Cron as we go. The, the one last thing before we get to Pete, and I, I hate to keep the Hall of Famer waiting, so I'll make this brief. I guess I'm mad. Uh, mad. I guess I'm calling into question some of the reporting or some of the storytelling or whatever, but let me do one more thing. I bristle at the, is Craig Conroy the right choice for the Calgary Flames? I bristle at that because I think the question is asked improperly. I think the, the correct question is, are the Calgary Flames correct and, and right for Craig Conroy? The opposite. It, it's, is, the, is this the right opportunity? I hope so because nobody has worked harder for this opportunity. Twelve and a half years, whatever it is, special assistant, assistant general manager. He's traveled the globe. He was critical in signing Johnny Goudreau. He was critical in signing Matt Coronado. He's been critical in signing free agents. He has seen this organization from top to bottom. He has been exposed to the Players Association as, t- as his time and as a player. He has worked for Team USA in Olympics and World Championships, I believe. There's nobody more prepared for this job than Craig Conroy. There's nobody who would want this job probably more than Craig Conroy. So it's not whether or not Craig Conroy is right for this job. It's whether or not the Calgary Flames are right for this job. So don't think that Conroy would take this job if he felt he had to do the bidding of the coach or whatever. Craig Conroy, if he takes this job, he believes in his heart of hearts that he can make a difference and he can change it. If he doesn't take this job, then it's probably because he doesn't feel like he can do it, that that there's things against him lining up. That happens in business, that happens in life, that happens across the league. I get it. It's emotional. We're fans, they're friends, all these sort of things. But I think the question's wrong. I think the question isn't whether or not Craig Conroy is right for the Calgary Flames. I think it's whether or not the Calgary Flames are right for Craig Conroy. Because dude should be a general manager. He's interviewed before, I believe. I think he has. Um, And he should have been. And I think he would do a bang-up job. But he's got to have control. And part of that control is probably selecting your own coach. All right, enough of me. I know why you're here today. I know exactly why you're here today. To hear the next guest, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary, three, three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest. Great deals on snowboards, on ski and, and equipment. Get in there. Ski Seller Snowboard. We bring in the seven-time Hall of Famer, 
the legendary voice of your Calgary Flames, and our dear, dear friend, Peter Marr, joins us this afternoon on Just a Game. Sir, how do we find you today? Well, I'm very good, Rob, but before we get into any of the discussions that are primary on the agenda these days, I want to congratulate you on receiving the honor from the Calgary Booster Club on behalf of your media uh, work and other work that you've done uh, for so many years over uh, in this community. I want to congratulate you on that. Very, very well deserved, and uh, it should be a great night when you're honored. I think it's later this week that uh, they're having the the dinner and all of that yeah. sort of thing. So again, congratulations. I I appreciate that, sir. Um, for those who don't know, there is a little history between Peter and I uh, when it comes to introducing ourselves as award winners. It goes all the way back to the 0405 lockout uh, when the Flames uh, affiliate was in. Uh, wh- where was it, Pete? Lowell. Lowell, <laughs> right? And we had the uh, voice. We had the voice of the Lowell Lock Monsters on, but we had to refer to him oh, as yes, the award-winning yeah. voice of the. We never knew what award it was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're ringing back memories. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, well, thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. it. Means a lot, as you know, coming from you. Um, I'm. St- Never going to catch your seven Hall of Fames, but it's nice. I to- don't know. You're, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. You're in a Hall of Fame, Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, and probably more to come. Uh, maybe. I, I, I don't anyway, know. That's anyway, not important yeah, issue. more important stuff. Um, Monday, let me start with you. Were you, were you surprised on Monday, Pete? Did, did the news of the day surprise you? No, it didn't surprise me, Rob. I kind of been kind of hearing that. Uh, Brad Tree Living uh, was uh, had been offered the you know an in, uh, a new contract and a couple of, at least a couple of times from what my sources were telling me and turned them down on both occasions. So that uh, led me not to be surprised when uh, he came out and uh, made the they made the announcement on on Monday that uh, they had mutually agreed for him uh, not to return as uh, general manager of the team after nine years. Uh, as the uh, GM of the of the hockey team, so no, it didn't come down as a a surprise uh, to me. Um, uh, now it's going to be, you know, now I have no idea what's going to happen down yeah. the road here. But there's certainly a lot of things that have to take place uh, to get the Flames organization back in ship shape, and they have to have everybody. Everybody has to be on the same road. I mean, they have to have a plan for this team going forward, and everybody from the pres- from the owners to the president the uh, president of hockey operations to the general manager and others in the front office and the coaching staff, they've all got to be on that, that save Wamelink to have success for this team going forward. Pete, and I might be skipping a little bit ahead here, but it, that I think we all agree with that. That's, that's rooted in common sense. That makes so much sense. Is it easier said than done? Yes, it's easier said than done. There's no question about that because you've got, you know, a lot of people that are involved here that have different ideas and some of them go in one direction, some Mm -hmm. go in another direction. But to me, it's very critical that they all get on the same wavelength. I mean, there's always going to be uh, discussion among the type of people that I mentioned there uh, that are involved with the Flames from top to bottom. 
but they have their input, but they've all got to be on that same wavelength right. as to what direction they want to go in with this hockey team. Not one guy wanting to go one way and another guy go another way and another, and then somebody else some other direction. They have to get on that same stream and, you know, they can have some uh, meetings behind the scenes where there be people voice their opinions, but at the end of it, they've got to all be on that same wavelength. And I think that's a very important thing that has to be stressed in the uh, Flames uh, offices now as they uh, go about the process of finding a new general manager and setting up the uh, the front office as they wanted going forward with this team. Pete, um, you and I have done this version for 20 years on and off. We so rarely ever talk about the role or the input of the owner, in this case, Murray Edwards. Can you give us a little context, uh, you know, a little bit about their commitment and, and why we, you know, I've been here for, 20 years. I've heard Murray speak once to the media. That's it. Why don't we ever hear from the owners? Okay, Rob, let's go way back to when the team came here in 1980. Okay. At that time, Nelson Scalbania, a businessman from uh, Vancouver, yeah. and uh, was the primary owner of the team. He also had some minority owners that were Calgary businessmen. At that point, it did not include Murray, uh, did not include uh, Murray Edwards. Uh, Scalbini came in. He was the owner for a major owner for the first year. After that, he sold his shares to the team to the other uh, Calgary people, the Seaman brothers, Harley Hotchkiss and uh, Norm uh, Green and a few other people. Right. And they took over the running of the team. And when they took over running of the team, they said, we will we will not be speaking public. Mm -hmm. We're going to leave that up to our president and CEO to deal with the public. We're gotcha. going to be, we're going to remain behind the scenes. We're going to support this team. Uh, we're going to uh, provide everything that the team needs to, uh, to go forward and uh, you know, but let the, uh, the public act actions be handled by other people other than ownership. Now, when Harley was there, Harley Hotchkiss, the late Harley, when he uh, was there, he did go public a few times, but a lot of that was to do with his uh, job as when he eventually became chairman of the board right. of the National Hockey League right. and was basically you know right in there with with uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman. And he also had some comments when uh, the Flames were in those cash call situations. A lot of people forget that in uh, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, when the team yep. was going through a stretch over the no playoffs for seven consecutive years, the Saddle Dome had about 8,000 people going to the games so that wasn't enough money to uh to uh operate a hockey team so the owners had to kick in some money to uh, keep things going and they were very glad to do that and of course at that time harley hotchkiss you know uh you know rather than sell the team there are lots of rumors that this team might get sold to people in sure. dallas yeah or rather houston and some other places yeah but harley hotchkiss made it very clear that going forward, there's going to be a salary cap in the NHL, and we're going to be able to put things, you know, back to a keel where we can operate on a on a level with everybody else in the league. So, and of course, eventually we did get the salary cap. The Flames then had that great run in 2004 uh, when they came in and went to the Stanley Cup final. And I think I've said it before, uh, Rob, in some interviews we've done. I really believe that that 04 run, yeah, that 04 run, and that not happened, this team might not be in Calgary today. Because they were looking for cash calls going into that season because of the low crowds. Yep. Uh, that season did not start out very well. The 0304 campaign. I remember in the near the 20th or so of November, Flames had a, uh, a Saturday night game in Edmonton, lost the game, falling into last place in the uh, in the conference, and uh, 
I remember flying back from Edmonton on the charter flight with the team, sitting across the aisle from Daryl Sutter, who at the time was the general manager and coach of the team. Yeah. And when we arrived in Calgary, he leaned over to me and he said, be around tomorrow. We're making, a, I'm, I'm going to be making a deal, a trade. And that is when he acquired Mika Kiprasov to come in uh, with uh, the team. And from there, everything turned around. The team went on. They had that great run. Yep. Uh, essentially won the Stanley Cup. They didn't count the goal, but anyway, we'll yeah. get into that mm, later another time. Mm. But, um, but the, that team went on to the Stanley Cup final. And then the next year, there was no hockey at all. So can you imagine if the Flames had gone eight straight years, no playoffs, and then no hockey oh. at all in that ninth year, people wouldn't be going back to sell out the Saddle Dome no. on a nightly basis as they did after that 0-4 run. So, uh, and also with the, with the ownership of the team, and I should point this out very clearly, is that ever since the NHL has had the salary cap, the Flame ownership has always, other than one season, other than one season, the Flames always reach the maximum or close to the maximum of the salary cap with regard to bringing in players for this team to make them competitive and, and contest for a Stanley Cup. There was only one year they didn't do that. That was the year after they traded uh, Jerome McGinley and uh, Jay Bullmeister, two guys that were prominent parts of the team at that point in time. Yep. And the next year they came in, as you were mentioning there earlier, uh, the uh, rebuild was in. But the next year they had a fair amount of success. And so... The following year after that, again, they boosted up the salary cap uh, to the salary cap max for this team. So, And the other thing that Flames ownership have done throughout the entire stage of this after the local owners turn over is that in you know they, they set up situations where they would fund uh, worthwhile local organizations. They've got millions and millions of dollars that they've contributed to various charities in the, in the Calgary area. So, no, they don't speak public, but they leave that up to the, you know, going back to the the start of this team, when Cliff Fletcher was here, he was both the president and uh, general manager. He spoke on behalf of ownership. After that, uh, coming in was uh, Bill Hay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after after that, there was a, uh, you had Ken King come in. And until Ken passed away, John Bean is is, is a guy that's uh, the president and CEO of the team presently. He's a, he's more of a quiet guy. He's a, he's a fellow that uh, is not used to being in in the public eye and not uh, not overly will, willing to be in the public eye. So, uh, you know, he, he most of the time passes it on to the general manager to be the guy yeah. to be the spokesman for the team, which we heard from Brad Tree Living over the you know the past nine years or so, or not nine years, but in the last three or four years since yep. uh, John has uh, been the uh, president and CEO of this uh, hockey team. And and interestingly. Going back to history, this is the first time that a general manager has left the Flames, and at a situation where uh, the ownership and the uh, and uh, other people within management uh, were hoping and, and figuring he was going to return to that position. All the other guys that were GMs, uh, when they left, they were either let go, mm-hmm. or in the case of Cliff Fletcher, he had been GM of the team since 1972, going back to the Atlanta days. Uh, he had a very good offer to go be the general manager in Toronto, and so he left for uh, for that challenge. So this is very, very unique. The way this has all uh, come down with uh, Brad Tree living this week. Yeah, and I, I would almost think, Pete, that it's a little bit unique in hockey, too. I mean, you know, Doug Wilson left, but that was because of health reasons and things like that. For a general manager to actually step aside from a job is is rare. Pete, I do want to go back. Yeah. Just for context purposes, and and I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that finds this stuff interesting. When the the owners took over after Nelson Scalbania and they said that they were going to let the president talk, 
Was that a result of, you know, Harold Ballard in Toronto, Peter Potlington up in Edmonton, that there were owners at that time who were very vocal and very much out there? Was that a reaction to what was going on in other markets? Well, I'm not sure if that was the reaction to that. I have the suspicion that some of that was. I think some of the other part of that was they wanted to leave everything to hockey people to to make gotcha. the uh, commentaries okay. on behalf of ownership of the team. They would stay in the background. Not that they didn't care about what was going on with the team, but they just didn't want to be into the public forefront uh, uh, while they were ownership of, of the hockey team. They, uh, you know, basically wanted to be quiet owners and, um, you know, do as best they can to have the team be successful. So there's no doubt that uh, Nelson Scalbania, with the way he was carrying on, uh, not uh, – Peter Pocklington, rather, who actually was a friend of Nelson Calvin. Yes, he was. Further in time, uh, he was, you know, Pocklington, very, very outspoken as owner in Edmonton. And, of course, uh, Harold Ballard in Toronto. I mean, I could talk all day. I, I had the, <laughs> the opportunity of being broadcaster for the Maple Leafs there for three years when when Harold was the general manager, was the owner of the, of the Maple Leafs. So there's all kinds of stories there that we can told about how bombastic that uh, Harold Ballard was in his time as owner of the of the Maple Leafs. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I think it's the way it should be with the way the Flames ownership handles things uh, in the background. And but very much concerned about the operation of the team. This is not to say they don't care. It's just that they don't like they don't want to be going public, leaving right. that up to the hockey people. By the way, everything that you heard about Harold Ballard is true, right, Pete? Like, you you don't have to embellish Peter or, uh, Harold Ballard stories, do you? No, don't have to embellish those one little bit. So <laughs> I had the you know being around him as I was. I mean, it was uh, uh, there were all kinds of things that were going on that were outlandish to say the least i mean it brought back the memory of when bruce boudreau was uh, unceremoniously uh, let go in vancouver earlier this season from the coaching job there it brought back the memories when i was there when ballard and ballard fired roger nielsen um and when he roger was coach of the leafs they had a game in uh, montreal uh, on a thursday night lost the game i think it was three two or four two and then afterwards ballard goes on the post-game television show with uh uh, Dick Beddows. I don't know if you yeah, remember, I remember him. Dick, sure. remember him, but yeah. he used to be on uh, on Hockey Night midweek telecasts and and Saturdays as well. And he's also a commentator or a, a columnist for the Globe and Mail. And uh, he, he Ballard tells this is the announcement of, that he's firing Roger Nielsen. It was on this post game thing with Beddows that Ballard said Roger Nielsen is fired. And then when we got on the plane, the charter flight back from Montreal to Toronto after the game. Ballard went to Jim Gregory, who was the general manager. He said, well, you go tell Roger he's fired. So, <laughs> so it was on the plane going back that Roger got that word. And uh, to, to carry on with that, the next day, I, at that time, I didn't have a regular color commentator on my uh, broadcast on radio right. in Toronto. And uh, my boss called me the next morning and he said, uh, can you get in touch with Roger Nielsen and ask him if he'd like to be the color commentator for the rest of the season? And so there were about three or four weeks left in the, in the regular season. So I phoned Roger and he said, sure, I'd like to do that. And, uh, but I have to check with the old man. And of course, the old man he was talking about was Ballard. Ballard yeah. So, uh, so he, uh, anyway, he goes and uh, he calls me back later in the, that evening and he says, yeah, it's okay. I'm all set. I'll uh, I'll be there for the game uh, tomorrow night. So I said, okay, I'll meet you at such and such a spot and at such and such a time uh, tomorrow night. So then I went to the morning skate in the morning, and uh, Daryl Sittler was the uh, captain of the team. He was running the practice. There was no coach running the 
artist there. Jim Gregory was hanging around. And uh, anyway, so that the morning skates over. I go home. And then I get a phone call from Roger at about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He said, I can't do the deal with you tonight. I'm coming back as coach, but you can't tell anybody. And so I said, no, to worry. I'll keep with the confidence here. But I said, we're advertising on the radio that uh, you're going to be on the show tonight. So maybe I should meet up with you an hour and a half or so before the game and do a recorded interview where you can talk about some of the key points for the Maple Leafs to win the game and, and that type of thing. So he said, uh, when he got back to me later, he said, well, meet me in Ballard's office. So uh, anyway, I get there and go to the Ballard's office and record this interview. And then we go on and our, our pregame show then was only about 10, 15 minutes sure. long. So uh, we had that interview run and then a couple of other things. And then they had the national anthem. And then that's when I announced Roger Nielsen is back as coach of the uh, Maple Leafs. And the other story, and I got this more clarified when I met up with Daryl Sittler back in November when yep. they had the night with uh, for Lanny McDonald at the Saddle Dome that you hosted, Rob. Yep. And uh, Daryl confirmed to me that he was in, in the uh, – he was badgering uh, – Ballard wanted to put a paper bag over the head of Roger Nielsen, have him go out behind the bench just after the national anthem, and then stand there for a minute or so and then remove the bag over his head. But – Daryl finally convinced Ballard that that wasn't a very good idea. So, I mean, that's just one of the stories. I mean, we could talk all afternoon about that. So. Well, the, the problem is people are listening. Guy, the sure. problem that people are listening to this right now, going, "Oh, no, you're embellishing it. You're making it up." And and you know, we think about everything that happens now, and and we go, "Oh my God, this is unprecedented." It's never. Can you imagine? Like straight faced, had a conversation about asking a coach to put a paper bag on his head and go out on the bench. Straight faced. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. No <laughs> uh, back to the local hockey anyway. he- heroes. Um, Pete Don Maloney takes over as president of hockey operations and interim general manager. His job is to do the assessment. Don's a capable. I, I I don't think any of us have a problem with Don. He's a capable. He's been a GM. He's been a hockey man. Um, he's you know soft spoken, but I, I think a very uh, very astute gentleman. Um, what about things like uh, exit interviews, Pete? How how would those have been handled, or or would Tree Living have been in on those? What what did you hear about player exit interviews? Yeah, from what I understand, the player interviews that they had last uh, last week on uh, Friday, uh, the interviews were conducted at the Saddle Dome uh, individually with each player uh, coming in one on one one time each, and uh, both the Tree Living. Tree Living had already told the Flames at that point that he was not coming back, but he, you know, he was going to be around and had to be part of the exit interviews because the announcement hadn't been made, blah, blah, blah. Sure. And Don Maloney was also in on those meetings. They were together and they interviewed each player on an individual basis. Now this thing, when players go in for these uh, uh, after season exit interviews, they usually, with the, with the management, they only usually only last about five, maybe 10 minutes. Now, from what I was told, uh, from a very good source, some of those went lasted longer than an hour, and it took a whole lot longer to go through the entire process uh, that day than it normally would. And uh, from that, what happens when they have those meetings? Uh, in this case, Tree Living and um, and Maloney would get together. They would talk to John Bean about the things that were discussed there, and then they would uh, discuss with ownership of the Flames hockey team the input that they were getting uh, from the players. Now, what input they were getting from the players, I've got no idea. But as I say, those those meetings were a lot longer than they normally are. So then they go to the ownership, and then ownership from there 
you know, dissects what mm -hmm. uh, what they uh, want to take from that and, and carry on from there. So uh, I, I would guess that there were some very frank conversations with regard to uh, Daryl Sutter and his uh, coaching and, and that type of thing, as well as a whole bunch of other things, I'm sure, that were discussed at that. And from those exit meetings, you know, the management, the ownership, uh, then can formulate any decisions they want to make or, or don't want to make with regard to the, the hockey team. Now, uh, you know, with regard to Daryl Sutter, you know, I had the opportunity of being around Daryl in that, yep. you know, in that run in 03, 04 and uh, the year before that. And then for five years after that, when he uh, was coach for one more year after that run and then uh, was general manager only. Now, Daryl, to me, Daryl Sutter is a very, very astute hockey coach. Mm -hmm. He is a very, very insightful guy uh, with regard to what's happening in the game, making a move to uh, – to correct things if he doesn't see them going right can make them a lot quicker than a lot of coaches. In fact, I don't know if I mentioned it with you the last time we were on, but in that 04 run, uh, Scotty Bowman was at game number five of that series that was in Tampa. And of course, Scotty right. Bowman is the greatest coach ever in the NHL. And just before game five, I was talking with Scotty up in the broadcast booth there. And he was telling me, he said, you know, your coach, and he was, he was uh, uh, motioning Daryl saying that he, he knows this game and can adjust quicker than any other coach in the NHL today. Yep. And, uh, you know, he said he makes – most coaches have to wait until the intermission to make changes and that sort of thing. But he detects them right away and makes the proper adjustment. So with regard to Daryl, if you listen to what Daryl has to say with regard to his uh, game planning and that sort of thing, you're going to have success. If you don't listen to him, you're not going to have success. And so, you know, it, it seemed with watching Flames play this year – they weren't playing Daryl Sutter style hockey as often as they needed yeah. to. When you look back at last year when they had the 115 points and finished in first place in the division, they were playing Daryl Sutter style hockey. And that led to, you know, success. Mm -hmm. They won a playoff series and had a, a, a series of that they didn't win, but at least they were able to get uh, by one round. So, right. uh, but the other part of Daryl, he, he is a guy that's very, very demanding. Yep. And his, so his commentary with the players is uh, sometimes something that, um, that they might not like as players, but if you're, you're being paid to be a player and if you listen to him, you're going to have success and you know, you can just, you can, you know, you talk to players from that 04 flame team. That might be a good idea for some media people and ourselves here, Rob, is to talk to some guys like Robin Regeer and, yep. and people like that yep. that were on that team and, you know, get their comments on Daryl Sutter. And I think you'll find they're going to have a lot of positive comments about what, the way he coaches the team. They may not have liked some of the things that were said, but mm -hmm. they realized that was all part of uh, gaining the success that the, uh, the team had. So, um, it certainly is uh, going to be interesting to see what's going, what happens eventually with uh, this flame organization. No, and, and you know you're at you're right, Pete, and you know it's kind of why I played that Rhett Warner clip at the beginning. Like I, I think it's real easy to tag everything and and say, well, it's you know Daryl this and Daryl that. I am you know, and I think I've had this conversation. My question or my critique would come in in just the way that I don't think Daryl believes it's his job to develop young players. I don't. And and that's that's probably a holdover from past, but I think the game's changed, and I think he has a responsibility to develop players, young players at the NHL level. That's just the way the contracts work. That's just the way the game has changed. And and the only other thing I would say, Pete, is he's blunt, like blunt, 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 blunt. Yeah. And if you can't take blunt, then you can't be. He's been blunt to me. He's been blunt to you. Uh, that's just who he is, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's absolutely who he is. But you know, he also has a heart of gold. And I've seen that on many, many occasions. The one, the most recent one, was this year. It was uh, it was soon after that infamous uh, commentary he made on uh, Pelche. on uh, Pelche yep. after he had played his game, and the media asked him how he thought he played, and then Daryl put his glasses on and uh, took out the game sheet, and then yelled out to the media, "What number was he?" And uh, and then he goes on to say, "Well, he uh, no goals, no assists, uh, minus one or two, whatever it was," and five minutes or six minutes of ice time where it was not very complimentary of, of a young player having played his first NHL game. Right. But you know, it was about, about three days after that when they had family day, an afternoon game at the saddle dome. And, uh, they, uh, prior to the game, they had the uh, son of Chris snow, his young son, Chris snow, of course, the assistant general manager who was dealing with yep. a whole bunch of uh, health issues, but he had his son, who I don't know how old he is, nine yep. or 10 or whatever in that range, had him go in there and read the starting lineup for that game. I mean, and then there was Daryl right behind clapping and all this type of thing. I mean, that's the other side of him that a lot of people don't see that he has a heart of gold and, and, uh, and uh, but it's something that's very rarely seen. We've seen him on both sides drop. We've seen the yep. good. Uh, we've yep. seen him, you know, be very, very wild and crazy and going on saying not crazy, but, you know, saying a whole bunch of things that uh, might not be out of line. It might be out of line to some people, but he has a heart of gold. Uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to some other other situations, I've also seen him at a whole bunch of charity events. Mm-hmm. And how much how much influence he has in a positive way in those events. So you know that that's Daryl. That's... And uh, as I say, if you listen to him as a player, you'll have success. Um, so now Don Maloney goes forth with the general manager search. I, I you were probably on the line when I made my case. How vast a search should this be? Rob, I think this should be a very extensive search. Okay. I know you mentioned Craig Craig, Conroy, and I'm in agreement with with what you were saying there about Craig, but I think that they should talk to, they should talk to at least a dozen people Mm -hmm. and some within the organization and a whole lot more outside the organization and not so much, not so much the fact that, um, that they're maybe thinking of hiring so-and-so that maybe was a general manager with another NHL team and is out of work today, but sit down with these guys, even though if you're not thinking about hiring them, sit down and meet with them and see what they have to say about your team. They may point out some things about your team that you weren't aware of or, or weren't considering that might be very, very important to the team going forward. There was a, you know, a, a very smart general manager once told me when you're interviewing for a, for a new coach in this particular case, Talk to as many coaches as you can. So, and that's the very reason. You may have the idea in the back of your mind who you want, mm-hmm. but talk to these other people to see what their thoughts are about your team because sometimes that can prove to be very, very helpful. So I think they should do a very, very extensive search. And uh, and obviously, uh, Craig should be the guy that they, they talk to and uh, give him ample opportunity to show what he can do. Now, the other interesting aspect of that, like you and I, we've known Craig for a long, long time. Yep. Uh, his time as a player when he came here on a couple of occasions, then being involved in management for as long as he has been. He's a very, very hardworking, diligent guy. He's a very uh, upfront guy. He's not shy to uh, talk in front of microphones and talk to people. And he's also well-organized and that sort of thing. But to know what his contributions have been so far, to the flame organization in his role as assistant general manager that he's had now for all these years, the only real people that know, because it's a behind the scenes job for the most part, uh, the only people that know how his abilities are in that range 
would be John Bean and uh, Don Maloney and, and others that have been, you know, active watching what he has been doing. Because when there's trades are made, the general manager is the guy that's always mm-hmm. in the forefront. Yep. When uh, the draft is on, it's the general manager always in the forefront. When there's a player signing, it's the general manager always in the forefront. You don't see how much work the assistant guy has done behind the scenes and how uh, difficult it may have been for him to haul off this, that, and the other thing. So to me, that's the key aspect with regard to uh, Craig. I, he definitely, uh, I would be in favor of him being the general manager, but I think those people have a better insight as to his hockey uh, knowledge, his hockey workmanship, and all that type of thing, and uh, and um, and you know, they, I'm sure they have their opinions on that right now. They may have already decided in their own mind he's the guy, right? But in the in the same in the same sense, they should interview a whole bunch of different people. I remember when when Bill Peters became coach of the Flames, and uh, Brad Treveling made the comment afterwards after hiring uh, that he didn't interview anybody else for the job. I remember when I heard that, I said. He shouldn't have done that. He should have talked to some more people, even if Bill Peters was the guy he was going to hire. As it turned out, Bill Peters wasn't a very good hire to start with, and he had to leave unceremoniously after what less than a little over a year under yep. the under the coaching uh, tag. So, to me, that's really important to uh, to get as much insight as you can from other people that are in the hockey business uh, about your own team, and that's how you can do it. Pete, does does the coach? have any role in this not necessarily interviewing or anything like that but you know daryl's got two years remaining uh my guess is that you know ownership would like him to stay when you have a coach when you're inheriting a coach like that what's what's the procedure what's the role when you're trying to find a general manager okay number before that goes on rob you have to be you have to know the general manager has to be in agreement with who the coach is okay if the general manager is not in agreement with who the coaches is, it's not going to work. I mean, coaches and general managers, uh, they have to be on the same wavelength. Yes, they can they can differ in, in situations. I mean, when you look at it, the general manager's job is about the team today. But he's also going to be looking to the future yeah. because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing with a hockey team. In the coaches' range, he's worried about the team today. And so at times there, there, there are disagreements between the both sides, but they have to be – Amicable getting, you know, getting away from from that, going about the job of making the team a whole lot better. So right. it uses the way it, the way things work. The president should hire uh, the ownership and president. They hire the general manager. The general manager then usually hires a coach. So in this particular case, if Daryl is going to be staying as coach of the team, and he has the two years remaining on his contract, whoever they hire through the interview process, they have to make it very clear Daryl's going to be the coach. And what are your thoughts on Daryl? Can you work with Daryl? Can you do this with Daryl? And then, of course, once mm-hmm. you've made your decision, you know, maybe you get down to two or three people. Maybe you can go to Daryl and say, uh, we've got this guy, this guy, this guy that we're considering for the job. Do you have any comment? And not that he makes the final decision, but he can give you a hint on, you know, whether or not I think the, the two people, uh, the GM and the coach can, can get together okay. on, a, on a, a good natured basis and make the team better. So, Perfect. I mean, those are all things that they really have to consider, uh, you know, when they're getting this hiring done, because it's a very important hire. Um, you know, the team, the fans right now are all up in disarray. They're not happy with the team. And so they have to do the right thing, get the right people here and get this team back on track. I agree with you, Pete. And you also have to wonder, you know, uh, you know, we talk about the exit meetings. Um, you know, uh, they had the exit meetings with, with management. And then, of course, when they had the, the exit meetings with media after the uh, players come in and have their 
they have their uh, their uh, the final say with the owner management. Then a lot of them meet with the media. Most of them, I guess, met with the media. And it seemed from the comments that were being made by Michael Backlund and uh, Elias Lindholm that then their contracts run out after next season, not yeah. the, the one that's upcoming after that. Their contracts are up. And they seem to indicate they're not staying here. And if that's the case, then they've got to look into that yeah. in a very serious nature and get something in, in return for them or get whatever situation that they have as a problem uh, straightened out because those are your top two centers on the team. I mean, uh, Kadri could be your top two center as well. Uh, I thought he had a great first half of the season and kind of tailed off at the, the second. So, yeah. But, um, you know, those are all things that have to be considered here as they uh, move forward with uh, this uh, situation. And it was very surprising to have those guys make those kind of comments uh, at their closing uh, sessions with uh, media. Not they probably said that to the management as well when they met with uh, mm-hmm. Drew Living and Maloney. But normally they don't say that in public. Normally, you know, I remember a former trainer with the Flames yep. uh, saying to me one time, "What the players are saying sometimes to the media is just what they're supposed to be saying, not necessarily what they really mean." And so, but those guys were pretty pretty frank, basically, about what their thoughts were on going forward with uh, with this team. So. You know, if, if they're if they're not going to be back, then they've got to move them here in the summer so they get something back for them rather than get themselves in a situation like they had with uh, Johnny Gaudreau last summer. Well, Pete, you're right. You and I have done this a lot. We've been to a lot of green garbage bag days. I'm not sure if I was more surprised by the comments of Lindholm and Backland or more surprised by uh, uh, Uyghur going after the building because traditionally Flames players do not talk about that. They, yeah. It's not that they don't think that. I don't want anybody to think that it's all rosy, but that's one area that they've generally avoided. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Yes, definitely. I think, yeah, he made some very nice, very interesting comments and very, uh, to me, important comments with the way Agreed. things uh, are going with regard to the the that situ- arena situation. Agreed. Um, let's leave. It feels like it was a month ago, but it was really one week ago, the final game of the year. Pete, I always like to lean on you because I think we get excited and, and caught up, but you have the right kind of temperament on things. Game 82, you're out of the playoffs. Uh, Dustin Wolf gets in. Matt Coronado gets in. I know there wasn't a lot to be happy about, but there seemed to be a lot of excitement about these two young guys what's the, I mean, exactly how excited should we be in a game 82 against a, a team like San Jose? Rob, if it weren't for those two guys, I wouldn't have watched that game. But now to put <laughs> Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but to put that in perspective, I go back to a comment a coach made to me a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, never fall in love with a hockey player, a young hockey player that's playing in a game at the end of the regular season that means nothing or is playing in a preseason game in September. Because you fall in love with a player then, he might break your heart in October. Right. Uh, his, his whole point was that these games don't mean a whole lot. If, and if they stand out, it's great. It's great. But it's not something to get overly excited about. If they don't stand out in the game, then you know, then you're getting a, a little bit of a read that these guys need, need more work. But you can't really tell from that uh, one instance or one game that these guys are ready to come in and be, you know, top players in the NHL. Now, I thought both Wolf and Panato played really strong games. I mean, they were had lots of energy. Uh, Wolf made some really great saves uh, to get the victory, and uh, Panato made a number of great, great plays. He mm-hmm. was always in in the mix and that type of thing. But to me, I don't get excited about those guys now. If they can come back, 
do that through training camp yep. and the exhibition games that we're talking about. And if they do that, then I'm sure they'll be in the lineup at some point. And then, but then is when you really can tell whether or not these guys are ready for the, for the NHL and come up and be, you know, guys that are going to be star players for your team. But it was a good positive start for both of those guys getting their uh, first look at that NHL play. And so uh, we'll see now where it goes when training camp comes. I think we're going to have a younger flame team next year than the one we had this past season. And having said that, that means that, you know, you've got the, those two guys and maybe uh, Pelche and maybe a couple of other younger guys uh, making their way into the into the uh, the lineup for this team. Well, give us a little historical context here, Peter. Um, as we're doing this, our, our outstanding uh, producer, Gavin, just uh, piped in. So not surprising that, Dust, uh, that Wolf was named uh, AHL Goalie of the Year for the second consecutive year. But this is just his second year in the AHL. Pete... This is now four straight years that Dustin Wolf has been the goalie of the year in his league. Twice in the Western League in 1920, and now uh, the last two in the American Hockey League. Uh, I mean, it's incredible. Um, Absolutely incredible what this young man has done. No question about that. I remember watching, I'm sorry, I wasn't watching. I remember hearing about when he was drafted by the Flames, uh, what the second day of the draft was it round seven? Was he it, was the he was, fourth uh, to final pick, Pete. There was only three guys picked oh. after him, <laughs> and he was the only. I think he was the only guy left in the building, a player that was left in the building at that particular point in time. There with his parents. Can you imagine? Oh. He was sitting there through all of the draft procedures one day, and then the second day, not having his name called, and then suddenly having his name called. And you know, I remember hearing about that and and showing the uh, when they showed it on TV afterwards i got a chance to see the highlights of it i'm thinking boy that's that's incredible for this guy so uh and then at that time they talked about how great he had played in the western hockey league then he went on for another great year there and then two great years now in the american league and he's got the american league playoffs coming up here in which he's going to be a a key factor in whether or not the wranglers can have themselves a great playoff run here to get the city a little bit excited about uh playoff hockey here but yeah, he's he just phenomenal what this kid has accomplished. Now, the the big, the only knock that you hear about him is that he's too small. But he certainly was able to cover all the angles in the game that he played uh, that last game of the regular season last week. So, and as you say, he's been able to show that right through the American League. Now, stopping puck regular in the NHL is a bit different than the AHL, but he's on the, he's certainly on the right course. And uh, you have to think that he's going to get an opportunity to show what he can do at the, at the NHL level next year. Now, having that being said, you've got two goalies under contract that are here for next mm-hmm. year. Um, and so what are you going to do with that? Now, Markstrom, I don't think he's movable. I don't uh, either. Not with his contract that he has, the term that's left on it, and the fact he's coming off such a bad year. He, he needs to definitely bounce back. Now, the other guy, what uh, are? they may be able to, yeah, he may be able to make a small trade uh, to get him to another team, you're not going to get a whole big return back. But it, that to make room for Wolf, that may be something they'll do during the offseason. Well, we've got Brent Cron coming up next, and it's going to well, be part. Well, goals. that's exactly it, right? We're going to have him on, and I just want to point out too that Mitch Love, the head coach of the Wranglers, back-to-back coach of the year. So you know, there's there's stuff happening there, like. You know, the, the young defenseman, Jeremy Poirier, is, you know, made the all-rookie team. Connor Zary's had a really quiet season. Like, there's there's walker-doers out of that program. Like, there's some reasons to be optimistic. You know, in, in a way, Brad Tree Living's left you in a really good place. Two more for you, Pete. One has to do with the Wranglers. Safe to say, I think 
you know, after all of those years of, of almost nobody watching them in Stockton, nobody caring in Stockton, and some of the really, um, I don't know, bad dates they got this year. There were some midweeks that didn't draw well. I think if any, I think this team's going to get a lot of fan support. I think the Dome's going to be humming to watch this Wrangler team in the postseason. Yeah, I agree with you, Rob. But it's unfortunate that their crowds weren't, you know, really, really great uh, during the regular season. But as you mentioned, selection of dates is a key element. And when you've got the Flames playing in there, they're going to get all the prime dates. That's normal. And then you have the the Hitmen that have been there for years. And, uh, you know, they also have the Roughnecks that play in there. So it, it's tough getting dates that are going to be primed to mm-hmm. get big crowds in there. And, of course, you're the American League team. You're the farm team. So that, you know, that has a significance as well. But now that the fact the Flame season is over, uh, the Hitman season is over, and the Wranglers are there and in a, in a playoff spot where they're very much a favorite to have themselves a, a run into, into the playoffs, I'm like you. I think this is going to generate a whole lot of, playoff excitement whether or not they can get in 18 or 19,000 people in that building I don't know about that but they certainly should be able to you know get up about 9 10 or 12,000 people to watch this team yeah. especially if they uh, get a whole bunch of wins going and uh, you know win a series and, and it continues on from that I don't think it'll get to be the sea of red uh, like uh, the excitement in the city that we would have if the Flames are getting into one or three or four rounds. But I think it's going to be something that's going to generate hockey people here and create a fever for the Wranglers. But if I remember correctly, Pete, a couple of those long runs by the Hitmen, towards the end of them, yeah. the crowds were really big, right? And they were great they all were. through, they but were. they got... Yeah, definitely. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. 19 years ago today, remember where you were? 19 years ago today. Rob, usually I know where I was on significant days. Game? But, uh, I is, have to refresh my well, memory. Well, hold on. I'm worried I might be wrong on this then. Is today not the 19th anniversary of Game 7 in Vancouver? Oh, might very well be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, that could very well be. Right. The that the Flames won uh, Game I, 7. A I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mention it. And thinking here, yeah, well, that was an interesting game. <laughs> <laughs> Walk me through the last minute, Pete. If you re- what can you remember about that last minute? Oh, well, it was again uh, getting the the, the the penalty, and then the uh, and then the uh, hats all go, or the the fans, the hats, everything going, a bunch of stuff going on, and sweatshirt and then Mark now moving in and and. Uh, and getting getting a goal to tie it, and the Flames getting the goal from McGinley to tie it, and then going into overtime and winning it on the goal by Martin Shalana that started the ring, a string of him getting the game-winning or series-winning goal right. in four straight series, although they didn't count the last one. But, yeah, that was a real interesting uh, interesting night that night. It looked like it was not going to be a success for a bit there and the going into that closing part, and all of a sudden it, it turned around to the chagrin of the fans there in Vancouver. Well, it was <laughs> it was Matt Cook who t- Matt Cook tied it, right? For the Canucks. Yeah, yeah. And if I remember it was Aginla going down the ice and a, a sweatshirt got tossed, he had the empty net. Yep. And then he was coming yep. back and there was a stick and he tripped over that. And then Vancouver ties it with six seconds. And Jovanovsky's in the bench and he's he's going ballistic. And then they go to overtime. And I remember being at Shanks. Uh, south with Roger Millions was oh, our analyst, yeah. and it just felt like, oh my God, all the air had left. They, you know, Vancouver. It's inevitable now. The Canucks will win, and on that same Jovanovski power play or penalty, that power play for the Flames. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that series, Pete. That series taught me so much about hockey. 
Um, you know, I, I, I remember when Johan Hedberg got in, he played for Vancouver, and he could handle the puck, Pete. He was going to change the whole complexion of the series because he could handle the puck, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, now that's ringing back to memory. Yeah, that was a memorable night. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Um, not as much fun. Not as much fun as the next series. Uh, I, I, I've never asked you this, Pete. But now with a little distance, can you? Could we favor? Could we enjoy one series more than the next, or do you have to kind of enjoy the the seven games against Tampa because that was the Stanley Cup fun? Because that Detroit series. I mean, Calgary winning it in six, the way they won it, Dave Lowry coming back, um, Mika Kiprasov, like that in many ways was one of the, for, if you're watching a team, that was maybe the best I've ever seen result-wise and play-wise for the Calgary Flames. Yeah, you know, Rob, going into that playoff series, nobody gave the Flames a chance to win. I mean, I don't think many gave them a chance to win against Vancouver either, but nope. against Detroit. I mean, that Detroit team was a powerful, powerful yep. team. I forget how many points they had during the, the regular season, but they actually dominated the entire league. They had all kinds of future Hall of Famers in their, their lineup, and they were supposed to win that series easily against uh, the Flame team that, uh, you know, got into the playoffs with two days left on the on the regular schedule. But the Flames battled their way hard with Detroit, won games there, came back, and then, won that game six in the, in the saddle dome. And the, the thing I remember from that is that when, um, when Marty Jalanas scored the goal to uh, win the uh, sixth game in overtime to clinch the series, I yelled out three, uh, yeah, babies uh, to celebrate uh, the occasion. And then, and then I remember coming down after the game, going down to the flame dressing room, doing an interview with, with Marty. And I think you guys, you were in the studio yep. and replayed the, uh, my broadcast of that goal. And at that time, when I heard the three uh, babies, I said, "Oh no, that's that's terrible." You and he did, <laughs> folks. He I absolutely I said that live on the air. <laughs> you absolutely did. Absolutely, you said that. Absolutely. Are you going to tell the rest of the story? Yeah, yeah. And then I went home after that. And I couldn't sleep, and I get up the next morning, and the first thing I did was go down to the saddle dome, and I went to Daryl Sutter's office, knocked on the door, and I talked to him for a minute. And so I went in, sat down, and I said, "Look, I want to apologize for being so excited." Uh, when uh, Marty scored that goal last night to clinch the series, they're yelling out three yeah babies. One it's yeah baby would have been sufficient. Winning the second round of the playoff series is not enough for three yeah babies. And so he's looked at me and gave me a dirty look. And I, I thought maybe he's going to start yelling at me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he got a smile on his face and he said, yeah, I heard it on the radio this morning. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, so that made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, but but you've, you've also told the story, Pete, that – in many ways, that was a release valve for seven years, and all of the and the the save the flames campaign, and all of that. Like yep. it, it just, yep. you know, the Vancouver series was great, but it was a juggernaut. It was, you know, it was Shanahan and Iserman and Lindstrom and Brett Hall and Brett Hall. Hatcher <laughs> and and two guys yep. that I don't know if we ever heard of. Datsuk and Zetterberg were on that team, like. You know, and their their best was ahead of them. It, that that should have been over in four. And there's a story about Daryl too, right? Because what, wasn't there a whole bunch of headlines of, you know, sweep and things like that? And Daryl kind of used that as motivation too. Yes, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yes, he did. Yep, yep, because he got all of those clippings from somehow 
media people or the PR people got a hold of all of those and he had them plastered on the wall. Yep. Telling his team, we have, they're telling us we have no chance in the series or basically yep. saying to the guys, let's go out and show them different. And so, and, and to me, but yeah, that, that was all part of the motivation that was used in the, in the dressing room by coach Daryl Sutter to have that team uh, go on and, and, you know, upset the Red Wings in that series and a dramatic upset. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And, and lots of stories from 04, Pete, and I, I promise yeah. I'll end it here, but, you know, Commodore, the Double Doors, Montador, uh, all of those things. But to me, it always come down to Pi that, that Dave Lowry was coaching and was secretly working and then came back in that series and was such a heart and soul guy. And, like, I just remember, like, nobody epitomized what the Calgary Flames were that year more than Dave Lowry. That's right. Yo, yo, absolutely. No question about that. He was, uh, he was, that was quite a story for him to be behind the bench one minute. And the next thing you know, he's out there in an important game, playing a very key role in, in the team, uh, picking up a victory. But, you know, you mentioned Steve Monador there. Yeah. And th- that reminds me, it brings me back to something I'm very thankful for him, the late Steve Monador. Yeah. Uh, in the next series, the third, the, uh, the Western Conference final against San Jose, game number one of that series was in San Jose. And so I was fighting a cold going into that, uh, going into that game. And so the game went through three periods. It was tied. It went to overtime and the overtime period lasted uh, almost 19 minutes or 18 minutes or whatever it was. And so I'm broadcasting. I can barely get the words out of my mouth because the cold is having that big an effect on my, uh, yeah. my uh, vocal cords. And Mike Rogers, who was the uh, color commentator, he knew what was going on. So every time I'd stop, he'd jump in and say something. And then, of course, finally, Steve Monador scored the goal to give the Flames the win. And I got a shot of adrenaline, I guess, and made the yell that Flames won the game and had a one nothing lead in the series. Got all excited with that. So, But that's not the key. That's, that's important because if he hadn't scored that goal and they had to go to another overtime, I might not have been able to talk if they'd gone to another <laughs> overtime period. And then after that, I, I go downstairs to the flame dressing room to do the, the post-game interview as normal. Right. And, of course, Steve Monitor is the guy I want to talk to. So by the time I got downstairs, then I could barely get a word out of my mouth because, you know, my vocal cords had tightened up because I hadn't used them for 10 minutes. So Monitor comes out, and right away he realizes I've got a problem. And I remember introducing him on there, and uh, and right away he took the microphone and he talked for five straight minutes about the the goal, the game, and all the other stuff that was going on with with the team. And I'm so ever thankful for Steve Monitor, first for ending that game and then handling that interview the way that he did, because it saved me from uh, from some embarrassing moments. And uh, again, we certainly miss him because he was a real oh character my God. kind of guy. He was the yeah. he was the best. Um... Yep. You know, and I talk about the fact that I was doing those games on the radio the, from Shanks. Yep. And I'll never forget the beaver tail because you could hear it over the crowd. It was so loud. It was so loud. Again, has the puck. And here's this eighth, ninth yep. defenseman coming up the ice, <laughs> banging it. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And, <laughs> and, and, and Monty scored. Pete, uh, what did you, what's your uh, secret uh, when you have a sore throat? What do you do that uh, helps you? When you have a sore throat? Oh yes. Well, when I when I have that issue situation of with the cold or sore throat, I take a couple of sips of vinegar. And usually, what I do about five minutes before the start of the game, I would take that. And then my probably, and then I would take it again at the end of the second period. Now, I would always the the key with that is that it doesn't clear, it doesn't solve anything. 
uh, with regard to curing having a cold or no, having no, a sore no, throat. No, no, no. But what it does, it clears away the mucus that are in there that yep. allows you to talk. Yep. And so whenever I have that situation, I uh, use that. And where I got that tip was one year, um, Ann Murray, the famous sure. Canadian singer, Absolutely. was performing here in Calgary. And I got the opportunity to meet her um, at, uh, at the Weston Hotel. Here in Calgary, she was performing, I believe, at uh, one of the one of the auditoriums here in the city that night. And somehow, I don't I don't know how it happened, but anyway, I, the people knew that I liked Anne Marie because she was a maritime. I was just going to say, there's the maritime. Yes, the yes. <laughs> so we get in there, and so in the ten minute conversation I had with her, at one point I asked her, "What do you do when you have to go have to perform, and you have a cold, or you have a sore throat, or whatever?" Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's when she told me about the vinegar. And so ever since then, I've been doing that and that type of situation, although I haven't had any for a while. But uh, I do pass that on. I pass it on to you. I pass it on to several other people. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I I, I tried it, Pete. I couldn't do it. Because you took... What four or five sips, right? Yeah, yeah, four or five sips. A I mean, vinegar. it tastes terrible. <laughs> oh, and it tastes and it stays on you for a, you know, for a few minutes after you. Oh, but hey, you got to get the job done. I remember. I I could not, and you probably remember. I asked you one time, so I gargle this. No, you sip it. No, no, no. I gargle yeah. it. Nope, you sip it. And I I looked at yeah. you dumbfounded and i've tried it and folks if you want to have a little fun try taking four or five sips of vinegar and then you you would do that three times right pre first and yep. second yeah yeah well sometimes i would wait until the, the end of the sometimes i wouldn't do it at the first intermission sometimes i'd just wait to the second depending on how it was reacting at that point so, um, another interesting i passed that along to the the hitmen were in the playoffs one year and mm-hmm. i was down there one morning wherever and the play-by, I forget who the guy was. Um, oh, I, from Saskatoon. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Red-headed he, guy. Yeah, I know exactly. Mm-hmm. Ta- um, Les Lazaric. 
Yes, Les Lazarick. Yep. He had a cold. And so I'm telling, I'm mentioning to him, uh, you know, take some vinegar. And then, so I went through the process of how we should do it and that type of thing. So anyway, I'm at the game that night. So I happened to go up into the, the broadcast area there. And um, in the second period, I think it was, I go in there. And I go, I just happened to go by where his booth was. And he has, you know, those little uh, vinegar pockets that you can get? He had a whole bunch of those that were already open. Already <laughs> one of them wouldn't would have been half of one of them would have been enough. <laughs> oh, less. <laughs> so, oh. But he was able to. He finished the period. And I was talking to. Don't take too much of that stuff. <laughs> but he got through the game. So and I saw all those packets that were on the just beside him on his table. There, I said, "Gosh, you shouldn't have taken that many." But anyway, that's. <laughs> But that's what happened there. So. Well, here's my here's my attempt at Ron McLeanism. We started with Harold Ballard. We end with vinegar, sweet to sour. That's how this one goes. Feet, uh, I th- really appreciate this. We've had unbelievable response. We got lots and lots of live viewers right now, and all I saw were. I love Pete. I love ya, baby, and and the, they they love you. They want to hear more of you. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks, and, and hopefully by then maybe we'll have a little Flames news. But we didn't even get into the playoffs. We They've started. We didn't even get into that. Right? Uh, you never know where we'll be in two weeks. You off. never know so where we'll be. Having a chat, what, what the subjects will be, uh, we'll leave that to others to, to plant them for here's us. The, here's the one projection. At some point, you will reference a Maritimer. At some point in the conversation, a Maritimer will be referenced. <laughs> Always have to get that in there. Bro. You have to. Love you, bud. Thanks for doing you this. Never forget where you're from. Nope. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Peter. All right. Take care. <laughs> oh, Peter Meyer, everybody. Courtesy of Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years. Uh, three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, uh, Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's. By the way, they got great deals right now. And for hockey players, check out their snow skating. Go in there and ask them about snow skating. Uh, there you go. Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, next week, or on Friday, I should say, Eric DeHatchek will join us live in studio. On Monday, Chevy and Nasty live in studio. And Wednesday, speaking about dusting off the classics, Bruce Dobigan, everybody. Bruce Dobigan in studio. That's that's what you call a show right there. This is a show. This is what you call a show right here. Um, because when we get to our next guest, you, you we're not going downhill. We're the, This roller coaster keeps going up. Uh, we're live in the Oodle Noodle studio, local Love Delicious, since opening their first store back in 2005. Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie, pickup and delivery. Uh, we go from one legend to yet another legend uh, as we welcome in a good friend of the program brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Um, I would go out on a limb and suggest that the next guest, second only to Craig Conroy in terms of interviews that I have performed in my career here in Calgary, and he's always been a favorite, and I'm buying him some time because apparently he screwed something up. Uh, former first-round pick of the Calgary Flames, former star of the Calgary Hitman, um, and just one of the all-round good dudes. And you know what, Calgary, you're welcome because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the guy that uh, got him going on this side. You know him, you love him from everywhere. Brent Kron's here. How are you? 
I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm great. I skated at noon today. Yes. Um, as a goalie, as a goalie, I can't, I got nothing to offer. Nothing to offer as a forward. Okay. Um, I can't skate. Right. I can't do a left crossover. There, I was at the office this morning, and there was a, a, a coworker of mine. His kids are in, you know, development camps and spring sure. hockey, and he's asking me, "Oh, hey, uh, Grounder, you got any, uh, you know, power inst- power instructors? You know, it's hard to find the right guy. There's sure. so many people out there." And yeah. I said, "Listen, I can't even do a left crossover, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to guide your your young." Child, child on, their, on their journey on their journey you right know. um but no i'm feeling great i'm happy to be here and you know what speaking of which you said that uh you did give me my start i did used to come in in the summertime once and yep. you sit in an afternoon and we'd have yep. a great time at that old studio way back in the northeast way back in the northeast and i was just telling the boys in the back it was funny i remember i was having a i think i was injured again at training camp with the flames daryl was coaching this is i think probably oh six or something like that maybe yeah and you know, I was I was pretty down the dumps, and you were there. You were you were listening, and I said, you know what, Rob? I said, what would it uh, you know what does it take to get into media post post mm-hmm. career? Mm-hmm. And I remember it was the worst time to conversation because I was really curious. But Daryl just walked around the corner. So I was like, so you know, once hockey's done, you know, I'd like to get into uh, you know the media at some point. And he gave me just the largest horse eye that I've oh. ever seen in my life. I was like, oh, and I wanted to say something like, no, 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 I don't mean it right now. But I just. Uh, <laughs> I swallowed and I gulped and I was like, ah, right, back to the minors for me. I can't remember the number of times I would have called you in Lowell, Quad City. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the number of times we'd have conversations because we were all of the opinion, well, it's, you know, here comes Brent. Right? Only a matter like, of time. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, you know, you would, you would be an all-star in the American Hockey League and, you know, you'd be player of the week and all. Well, you know, Kipper's here. Yeah, but he, here, yeah. right? Here's here's the heir apparent. Yes. You know what? Um, I remember even having a conversation. My first actually legit call up, not in Dallas, it was my my first kind of really big. You were never called up, and I was, but it was you know Roman Turk had a had a concussion, right. and training camp had just ended. Yeah, and so they called me up, and then one time I think Turk was still battling with his concussion, and Jamie McLennan. Had a cracked sternum. That's correct. Right? Yep. And they called when me Kipper up. When Kiprasov was hurt, too. Kiprasov, yeah, he had a the, knee. Like, like the both ACL. Turek and yeah. Kiprasov, because wasn't Sabarin up? Yes, he was. And then I don't know, I can't remember exactly what happened to him, why he wasn't called up, or maybe they just, yeah, yeah. nobody was going to play, so we'll just get Sabby back in the American League. I think I was in the East, I can't even remember. Yeah. But I remember getting called up, and I was so excited, because I'm like, you know what? everybody's dying up here. I'm going to get, it's in. only a matter it's of only time. A matter of time. And I remember noodles coming to me and he's like, you know, I got, yeah, I'm, I may not make it through the whole game. It's like, I have a broken chest. Like my sternum is fractured and which is a completely true story. Yes. Yes. A million percent. And you know how much guys love playing with noodles as far as he's, oh, he's the, the iconic he's backup the best ever. ever. Right. Person, player. And I felt bad saying, you know, I, I hope that he can't because I just want to, I just want a chance. And he got a shutout. We played the Oilers, and we the we won one nothing with a cracked sternum. And mm-hmm. I'm like, if it's my, if my chance isn't now, I don't know ever if it will ever come. Mm-hmm. This man is a half a human being, mm-hmm. and he's still getting played over me, which right. is, turns out to be the right choice. You can't argue. But uh, N- no, no, no. <laughs> well, well, that was craziness. Yeah, because then he gets punted. Yeah, go on. Like that. You know, thanks for coming. Oh, you're the Rangers now. Yeah. And then, and that was the second coming of Roman Turek. Yes. Because everybody had ridden Roman Turek off, and then Kiprasov came back. And all I remember is Roman would get the odd start, and he'd win. Yes. 
And he and he loved it too. Oh, sure he did. Like he he loved it. He I remember him. So they they traded Jamie McLennan and Blair Betts to That's New York for Chris, Chris Simon. Simon. That's yes, right. Yeah. Right. And so Blair Betts, holy yeah, cow! Right, Betts yeah. was awesome. Like, oh, uh, the, absolutely, he I love that guy. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he blocking shots, penalty kill specialist. Like, yeah, just yeah. did absolutely everything. Yeah. And then when Kip came and just kind of took the whole net over, <laughs> and and Roman was he, he was just so relaxed. And easy going. He took a pay cut too. They, re, they restructured his deal. He's like, yeah, sure. Oh, he's happy. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd go in. He'd play one every eight, you know, and he'd play great. And 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 it was just that dynamic was unbelievable because Kip played every game and Roman come in for comedic relief and play great. Do you remember the towel? Around no the towel, Roman Turk's towel with the sun on it. He had. Because everybody's issued a team towel. Yeah. Except Roman Turek. He had his favorite beach towel with the big sun on it. <laughs> and it was hanging in his, his hanging in his stall and he put it around his and it was just like That is awesome. Oh yeah. No, no. I remember that there being something with the towel, but I don't remember what and that is that's awesome. Yeah. He was such a like, I remember talking to him in the summertime too. He'd well, not talking to summertime. We get to training camp. Yeah, and he'd be yeah, like, yeah. "Hey, you know, Croner, how was your summer?" I go, "Oh, good. Large. How was yours?" "Oh, good." He goes, "Did you work out?" I said, "Yeah, no, I was with Rich Hesketh this summer." Put me through the place paces. I was, I broke his bike pedals. I think I was. We were doing some kind of training with mm-hmm. with Rich, and you know, I was a little bit uh, heavier set, so uh, he was bagging me pretty good. <laughs> and I ended up breaking his bike. So, uh, long story short, we we're kind of going through the whole rigmarole. I'm like, so what did you do for the summer? I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, I walked my dog for 45 minutes on Mondays. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I I couldn't. I I I, th- I was hoping. I thought he was joking, right? I was just like, ah, great. That's ha ha ha. That's so yeah. funny. And then just kind of left it open ended and walked away. And I'm like. He seems like a guy that probably could walk his dog for 45 minutes and call it a day. So what was Kipper's off-season? Like cut, cutting down to one pack of smokes yeah. just before camp or something? Fishing. Fish, he was fishing. S- switching to light beer. Yeah, light right? beer and half a pack of smokes right. a week before camp. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, you'd, you'd see him and you could never tell he was a professional athlete. You know, you'd see him walking around. He kind of had a little little slight upper body with a little little miniature, kind of skinny fat. You know, the old uh, yes. the boiler on him, skinny yep. little legs. And, yep. And then he'd get out there and he was the best athlete on the ice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that was quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. I thought that my, there was, there's hope for me yet. Yeah, it still is. Still is. For both of us. Exactly. I don't know why you're limiting it to just you. Right. I think both of us have, based on the Mika Kiprasov r- workout regimen. Yeah. Right now, having said that, in fairness to him, there's legendary stories about his stretching. Oh, I, I just that was kind of going through my mind. Yeah, as I said that, he, the guy was the, the routine that he would have before games was just, yeah. and the things that he could do, and it, man, like I just, like I have flexible. Well, this is kind of probably too much information. My groins are super flexible, and mm-hmm. my and my joints. My knees, my shoulder, all kind of—they've all been super flexible to the point where they would dislocate. Like I've been a yeah. naturally flexible person. Yeah. But what I was always blown away by with Kiprasov was his hips. His like it was like he was—he could just spin his legs out. I could never do that. You see the goalies now, where you know even a guy like Markstrom, they can go in the butterfly. Their left skate is against the post, and their right skate's against the post, and it's just completely flush. Right. I could never do that. No. My hips would never flare out like that. And I saw Kip do. It. I'm like, how do you do that? I would try to even try to get some type of flexibility and I wouldn't even come close to that. I would talk to trainers like, Hey, how do I do that? And like, if you, you can either can do it or you can't, you can right. get a little bit more here or there, but you're not going to, you're not doing that. We just had uh Peter Marr on. It's, we believe it's 19 day or 19 days, 19 years ago today, game seven against Vancouver in wow. the run. 
Yeah. Right? Yes. I got called up for that, too. Because you you were the Black Ace. Black Ace. And it yeah. was so funny because I remember we were in San Antonio. I was playing. We were, uh, I got loaned out to Florida. Yeah. And Rick Dudley was a GM. Yep. And Dwayne Sutter was the uh, one of the scouts or yep. whatever, player personnel guys for the Panthers. And I remember after the game uh, in San Antonio, I'd never met Dwayne Sutter before, and he comes up to me. And he punches me in the stomach. Ah! <laughs> Not like that's ever happened before, I can imagine. From a setter. Yeah, right. Shocking. Completely blew me away. And he's like, oh, it's the first save you made all day. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, from a right. I'm like yeah. who the, are you, what's going on here? And he's like, hey, uh, pack your stuff up. You're uh, going up to the big team. And uh, you're going to be the black ace for the yep. Flames for the playoff run. And I'm like, because they were already, I think they had just finished game three or four. Yeah. So then I literally had to pack all my belongings, fly from San Antonio to Las Vegas, because that's where I had the rest of my stuff, and that's where my vehicle was, because I was playing on the East Coast. Right. For the, rang- uh, for the Wranglers. For Wranglers, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Right. So I pack all my stuff up, and then I hop in my truck, and then I drive up to Calgary. Was Glenn Gullitson the coach? Uh, of the Wranglers, yes. Yeah. That was his first coaching gig. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, like, it's it's kind of weird. It's and nostalgic. Yeah, right? it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I get into uh, Calgary for game, game, I want to say, actually, I think it was game six. Yeah, the the greatest loss in the history of the Calgary Flames. Right, but game six of of the first round against No, Vegas. that's the greatest loss. Remember, they were down 4-1. Oh, yes, yes. And they came yeah, back. Yes, and yes. BMO scored in triple overtime You're right. Vancouver. Yes, you're 100% right. I remember I just, just got in at like 4.35 o'clock. And and my fiance, well, it's obviously my wife now, but we just I hopped in the truck. They, had, they got us two tickets. I wasn't even in the press box. I was just like, <laughs> so we go sit in the stands, we watch the game, and then uh, the next day I'm on the, and then I'm not even on the team flight the next day. I just they got me a flight, like a regular commercial flight so to you Vancouver. Didn't get to fly in the charter no, to Vancouver. I get to I, I check into the we, to the Westin Hotel downtown, and I get in like super late. Yeah, and the team had already kind of I don't know they were I I just grabbed my card and i said hey you know any chance you know who my roommate is like oh yeah it's chris simon i'm like oh <laughs> whoa this is like i was so jacked but i'm like okay well this should be interesting so i go check into my room and it's perfectly clean there's nothing in there there's no luggage there's no nothing and i'm exhausted it's two and a half three days of travel it's just been a kind of a whirlwind and all i want to do is sleep sure and it's 11 o'clock and I'm sitting in a chair because I'm too afraid to choose a bed. You know, it's like, which one does, you know. Because you know it'll be the wrong one. Right, for sure, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. veteran, you know, okay, so he gets first pick. That's, you just take the scraps. Yeah. So I'm literally sitting in those uncomfortable hotel chairs. You know, I got TV on and I'm like nodding off and I'm just, oh, and I'm like, you know, finally I was so out of it. I'm like, I don't care if he comes in here and beats the wheels off of me. I got to go to bed. So I hop in bed, shut her down, and I wake up in the morning, there's nothing. Like, nothing. It's I'm like, your own room. I'm, it's my own room. I'm like, what is going on? Because pregame skate was that morning for game seven. Sure. So I get up and have breakfast with, you know, I think Brennan Evans was there and Lynn Loins and Commodore. <laughs> and, yeah, like oh, Martin Sonnenberg. And, oh, yeah, just yeah. going down memory the lane. Heroes here. Yeah, four, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Montador, Commodore. We we're all kind of yeah. in that black ace category, right? And, um, and then I just, I'm sitting down. At breakfast, and I this giant bear's paw just comes from behind and grabs me on my right shoulder and just crushes my right shoulder. And I turn around, and it's Chris Simon. Like, and I stand up like, Mr. Simon, hey, you know, Brent Cron, nice to meet you. I apologize. I didn't know which room to take. And he just he starts laughing. He goes, I know you had a long day of travel. He goes, I don't sleep well at night. So I just told the lady at the front desk to get to your own room so you could catch up on some rest. He did that yeah, for you? Yeah. And I'm like, what? I was terrified. I was, you know, just basically sure. crapping yeah, myself because yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. 
this guy's playing. I'm screwing up with his routine. He doesn't want to room with a third string goaltender. Oh, like that's fantastic. Yeah. That's it, fantastic. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and, yeah. And he would pick me up for practices, and he'd pick take me to the air, to the airplane. You know, all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. And it, was, it blew me away. It was yeah. just the, the, the coolest thing ever. It was awesome. So, what do you remember of Game Seven in Vancouver? Where were you? Were you upstairs? So, no, I wasn't upstairs. I was in the dressing room, watching the whole time. Okay. And, and I and I remember Gus Thorson, the trainer. Uh, it was I think it was two one for Calgary. Mm-hmm. A few minutes remaining. Yeah. So he was him and Les Jarvis were pulling out all the bags. Yeah. Right. So hey, game's over, guys. You know we got they're not going to score. Game's over. Game's over. So we're putting all the bags in front, pulling them out, all of us, and then Vancouver scored like six oh, seconds. Six left. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's like, what? and just freaking out. We got to get these bags back in. So like all of us full on board sprint grabbing the bags jamming them in the in the stalls and then basically hiding in the hallway to get out of the dressing room right wow and that's all i really remember i don't remember jelena scoring actually no that's not true i do remember him scoring on ald when ald was kind of in the pad stack and then Mm -hmm. i remember that but i saw it on tv i wasn't actually in the press box looking down i was saw it like everybody else did in the dressing room it's crazy it was um and i don't know how much you remember about vancouver but that was kluche gets hurt yeah Ald. um uh, Johan Hedberg yep. was in it. And, yeah. And that was the one I, to this day, it was the, you know, the craziness of the Vancouver media. Oh, Johan Hedberg's going, changing the series. He handles the puck. Yeah. He's going to change the whole complexion of the series. They blew his freaking doors off. He I was know. one and done. Yeah. Right. Like and then that. they turned to Alex Ald. And Ald wasn't that bad. He actually, no, he wasn't and, that bad. He wasn't, he didn't cost them. No. That team should have scored. Absolutely. But Kippersoff was the difference. Right? Uh, and then they had Nasland and Bertuzzi and Matthias Oland, and they had, uh, I think, Jovanovski was there. Yeah, right? absolutely. They, they, the Sedin. Yeah. The Sedins were secondary at that point. Yeah, though. they were. That was still the West Coast Express, right? Yeah, agreed. You know, agreed. And, well, Bertuzzi was suspended, but yeah. Nasland and that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was crazy. I mean, I just, and, I, and that was kind of the, the start of it, and it was just a whirlwind, and then started practicing with the team, obviously, and doing mm-hmm. a bunch of other things and whatever, and. And that, that year for being a black ace though too was you were actually kind of incorporated on the team like I was on the ice while the t- players were practicing right yeah. so yeah. Kippersoff would kind of take what he needed and then it was headshots for Kron and guys would lick their chops and <laughs> Dion Phaneuf and old like Saprik and like let's practice one timers from the you know the face off dot and it's like just cracking off my mask and shoulder and I remember I think Elliot Friedman was still just uh, getting his feet wet at yeah. CBC and uh, I had a white goalie mask and I, and I had played on you know I started in Vegas yep then, uh, then I went to um, uh, Lowell in the American League, then back to Vegas, and back to Lowell, and back to Vegas, then loaned out to Florida, and ended up in San Antonio. So I, I, I remember getting to the team that year, and then they were saying, "You don't get any colors because you've got the Wranglers colors. You got Lowell, who's like purple and red, and then yep. you got the Flames. So it was white and black equipment, and then the white helmet, and that was it." And I remember uh, Elliot. I don't know if he even put it on air, but they were they were taking shots of all my equipment, like just basically the, the journeyman goaltender that's yep. just played on every try to play in every team in every league this season. Yeah, no, it's uh, for me. I don't know about for you, but it, there's stuff that happens after that, years after that, that feels further away. For whatever reason, that oh three oh four run, it just still feels like yesterday in so many cases. It's crazy. I right? I, I remember getting pulled over just outside of Moose Jaw or Regina on the way to Calgary and the cop pulled me over and I was trying to be, you know, Bobby Bigley. I'm like, don't give me a ticket. And I was just, you know, Hey, like playing hockey. <laughs> Daryl Sutter called me and said, I got it. I got it. Yeah. So, I mean, you can give me the ticket. It's fine, but you're gonna have to answer to somebody. <laughs> right? And uh, he just looked at me like, you're an idiot and just <laughs> get out of my province and carry on. Well, the one thing I do remember about you was, and like, I can't imagine it would ever happen today. Maybe I'm wrong, but was the reception downtown 
after game seven, right? You guys went in city hall and you came out wearing white hats and like there was 25,000 people. Crazy. It was insane. It was, it was was, unbelievable. But, and you were just soaking it all in, right? (laughs) Well, and they, and I was there and then they had to introduce me too. Yeah. And there was like, Yay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I oh no, I, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. because it, it was uh, Beasley and Peter Marr. Yeah, I, I got the, I introduced them. Yeah, and they came out and they were introducing everybody and oh yeah, Kiprasov and Aginla and Conroy. And yeah, everything. and Brent Cron. And, and he plays hockey too. You know, it's <laughs> like, swear to God he does. Swear to yeah. God he's on this and team. I'm just, I'm like, don't like what. I can sit in the stands here too, you know, but it was, it was, it was crazy. The, the, the city was electric. It was unbelievable. It was, yeah. And, and you can understand, like, I don't want to make a, an inappropriate, but you understand why you chase that high, right? Like yes. you, you want to go back to, and, and that's why, you know, for the first couple of years afterwards, it's like, Oh, the red mile start, the red mile start. Yeah. And it was almost like they got the red mile ahead of everything. For sure. Right. Cause it was, it was, it was chaos it was mayhem it was excitement it was right. passion it was the town had been dry for so long that in 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 terms of hockey that everybody was this is the excuse everybody needs to just let loose and enjoy the ride yeah and i mean it hasn't really been i mean now subsequently yeah everybody kind of hopes and has their fingers crossed for another run like that just to keep the city going right and you did back up in a playoff Oh yeah, game didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah, playing against Detroit. Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious because that's when uh, Jamie McLennan once again, <laughs> I think, uh, smashed his stick into uh, what, what's he chased him behind the yeah. net? Yeah, what was his name? Uh, Holmstrom. Yeah, it was Holmstrom it was for a, Detroit. Yeah, and I remember watching the game because we were actually in playoffs, like playing against the Dallas Stars farm system, the Iowa Stars, and Mike Smith and Dan Ellis were the goalies for that team. Oh, okay. It was me and Curtis McElhinney. Yeah, and so I think we had played Friday, Saturday in Omaha and then we were playing going to play Monday Tuesday in Iowa yeah and I remember getting called up like that after that game Saturday like hey you're on a, on a bird tomorrow you're going to back up because McElhinney was starting the playoffs because he had a really good year yeah and then I came I flew up and I backed up I landed at like 3 30 went to the house you know said hi to everybody and then straight to the rink and just tried to stay out of everybody's way because that was game six yeah, right. right. And it went to overtime. Yeah. Moss hit a crossbar yes. and they win it. Yeah, and Hasek was playing goal for Detroit. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. Calgary yeah. held serve at home, right? Yes. They came back and they won game three and four, went back to Detroit. Kipper gets pulled, comes back, overtime. The yes. rest, they say, is history. All I remember about you in that one was they took a, there was a shot of you, they panned you, and you had the biggest smile on your face, right? <laughs> oh, like it's game I six. I was trying not trailing, to, too. And you're smiling. <laughs> but. And I, I, every time I introduce him, I don't get to introduce him that much anymore, but every time I introduce him, still suspended, Jamie McClendon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has not right? served that suspension fully. He's not recovered from that suspension, or the league certainly hasn't no, for sure, right? No. He's, yeah, because he's done. and he's, He retired yeah. after that and then still with games to go. Yeah, isn't that awesome? So, well, he wanted out. Right? <laughs> like he <laughs> he found his way. He yeah. found his yeah, way. Yeah, I'm going to take my stick to Holmstrom's face right now because Holmstrom was... Oh, exhausting in front of the net. He was a beast. He was unbelievable. And you can't do that stuff now. You really can't. But the amount of the amount of mental fortitude it would take for any goaltender to play in front of that maniac, mm-hmm. like you just want to drill him. You know, that's why you you, you mm-hmm. wish Billy Billy Smith would still be around for stuff like that, or Ronnie Hextall, or right. even Cloutier to a certain degree. Guys that would just Tim Thomas that would just lose their mind. You know it. It took a different level. You go back and you watch those '90s, you know, Detroit versus Dallas or Dallas for you know, and Belfour and Osgood and Vernon and, and literally guys are falling on you. You're getting punched in the oh, face. Yeah. You're looking uh, around. It's heavy. 
it's heavy. That's yeah. a great way of putting it. It was just heavy net presence. Yes. Right? That it, it's comical now. And then again, it's it's just the way the games develop. But it's comical when announcers lose their mind about traffic in front of goalies now because it's it's nowhere near what it was. No. I mean, he sat in your lap. Yes. He, he sat in your lap. And, and that is why they had the... They, 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 they tried to have the crease rule where you couldn't stick any part of right. your body in there because... Got goalies are getting run over. You're basically playing with your butt touching the back of the net because yeah. guys are spearing you on. Brett Warner and Buffalo on line one. They'd like to have a word about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, right? Yeah, I agree. And then that's it was an overreaction to that. Agreed, but just the amount of of traffic you had to fight through, and and it was and all it was was power play. You'd you'd, you'd kind of run it low, mm-hmm. and you get have them collapse. You pass it back to the point. There'd be nine hundred people in front of the net, and you'd mm-hmm. wire it as hard as you could, mm-hmm. and then you'd fight for it in the middle of the net all the time. Yep. And it was just guys with black eyes and missing. That's where all the broken noses and missing teeth and everything came from. Well, I, I you know going back to '04, I I remember um, ESPN shot the whole final uh, in HD from uh, the glass, and that became a special. And if you go back and you watch that series where it's all shot, it's a rodeo out there. Like <laughs> Rhett Warner literally riding guys on their back all yeah. the way down. The hooking, the, you know, ferrets with sticks between, you know, your legs. The jackknife. And oh, my God. Guys yeah. coming on a breakaway and you got the stick. It's just oh. pushing his elbow out and yeah. hooking him and like going water skiing through the neutral zone. And now I see sticks in a hand and the guy blows up and it's like, oh, my God, is that a major? Yeah. You know. I know. It's only 20 years ago, folks. It's crazy. Right? I I still like, we'll, we'll play, uh, they had some, uh, I think it was on uh, TS, I mean, what station is irrelevant, but they had a, a little documentary series on the, the, the five most recent goaltenders that were inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. It was, you know, Grant Fuhrer, Eddie Belfort, Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, and I'm obviously Dominic Hasek. And my kids were watching, they were just, this is like, this is awesome. This is what hockey like, could be. Yeah. Could, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, it's just hard hitting, fast paced, skill on display. It was, it, it gives me shivers talking. Can about. you imagine uh, Maltby and and Draper and and um, McCarty McCarty against Lemieux in Colorado nowadays? Oh, I mean, we'd have to shut the whole league down and yes. have an investigation. Yes, right. Like yes. That. Well, I I my first year I was sixteen. And I called up to the Hitman. That's still when they had uh, the separate warm ups in the Western Hockey League. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. the the visiting team would go on for twenty minutes full ice. Yeah. And then they flood, and then the home team would go on the ice for twenty minutes. And they'd flood, and then the game would start because uh, everybody is um, um, trying to beat the absolute wheels off of each other. Right. And yeah, so, it's true. Right. It's true. Yep. And and it's just it's to, to be able to watch that and Claude them you for all the cheap shots and you know you had to keep your head on a swivel because he wasn't hitting you because he wanted to you know take you out of the play. He was hitting you to eliminate you from the series. Right? He really was. He really was. And again, I'm not saying it's you know I'm not fawning for those days but it it's just interesting to to see how far the game has come right and the 100%. things that we get fired up about now look i'm not talking about the pavelski hit that's a different story yep. but there's some things within the regular season that you kind of go really we're upset about this i know yeah i know and you know it's it's funny i was talking to the guys in the back too before i came on it's like they're so much more exciting than me aren't they, they you know, like they, that should be the show <laughs> you going over there and talking to them that should be the podcast and that that room looks terrible though like you know they've got that's red... where i was in there for a yeah, while like like that there's no oxygen in there it's musty and it's small and it's hot and those lights are warm and it's got egg crate on the wall and 
Well, that's, it's just sad that's in there. baffling. That's yeah. not egg crate. That's baffling to break the sound up. I yeah. like it. I don't mind it. Yeah. And they're good dudes. They're great. They're great dudes. I'm getting to know them better. But we were, we were chatting about, you know, I watch hockey now for, guy, for guys that I cheer against. You know what I mean? Like, if I don't... Like, you want the villain. Yes. No, I, I don't want them to be around. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm cheering against the Leafs. I'm watching that series because I don't want the Leafs to make it past the first round. Right. You want to watch the villain. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. And then once they're gone, it's like, well... I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested because I actually like both these teams and yeah, yeah, it's okay, you, right? Good things can happen to you. Right. You right. know, and, and, and I'm not as emotionally invested, but when I actually have a vest... Like, I, I, I used to play hockey against this guy and he's playing the National Hockey League. I'd be jealous. I'm like, this guy is going to do great. I want him to fail. You know what I mean? Um, I do. I'm a little concerned that maybe we've gotten to a place that you might actually need some help with. <laughs> that I might not be capable of guiding you through this conversation. The amount of help that I would need, I would believe, is is, is not going to be, be be handled in this uh, this segment. All right. Rob. Yeah. Speaking of help, uh, I need help uh, from two different topics from you. Uh, but it's a choose your own adventure here on just Love the game. Uh, general manager search or uh, wolf. Oh, I want to do both. I know, and we will get to both. Okay. I'm just asking which one do you want to talk about? Wolf. Okay, so Dust, uh, Dustin Wolf, second year in a row, AHL Goalie of the Year. Four years in a row, he's his Goalie of the Year in his league. Last two in the Western, first two in the American Hockey League. Um, he's 22 now, but just by a week or so. Does he is he ready? Is what what do we do here, Croner? What do we do with this kid? I had no idea he was twenty two. I saw on Twitter it's like happy twenty second birthday, right? Justin. I'm like, what? I went to a couple games, Wranglers games yeah, this season. Yeah, and well, he you worked a, with yeah you worked with Sandra. Sandra, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she's great. She's awesome. Um, and I'm and I'm sitting there like this guy just he's just so smooth. He's so. You know, you, you think, you know, it's being, like, I played with a lot of little goalies. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard Bachman comes to mind in mm-hmm. Dallas where I was always impressed by him and his his patience, his ability to read the play for, not, for you know, not the lack of size, because you're still a bigger guy, mm-hmm. but compared to a lot of others, mm-hmm. right, you're smaller, how they could read the play, how we could read the play. And I see Dustin Wolf, and I'm like, this, like, he's just, he's there everywhere. He's just there. He's calm. That game at the end of the season against San Jose, I'm so happy they gave it to him. Like, okay, but does that, does that... What value does that game have? Zero. Okay. It has zero, it has zero value. Aside from him saying, I can play, I played a game in the National Hockey League. That's it, all it, it is, it, though. It, it's more for him okay. than anything else, right? Okay. A million percent. Okay. Um, but this, is he, is he under contract for another, he's got to be under contract for oh, another yeah, season, yeah. right? He's, he's got, yeah, they got control. Yeah. No, I mean, he's two years into his pro contract, so he's got one more on his entry level. His entry level. Uh, right. And and it's a good problem to have. It's a very good problem to have. Um, I, I know, I two years in a row, American Hockey League goaltender of the year. Mm-hmm. This guy's done with the American Hockey League. If he goes and has any type of playoff run whatsoever, mm-hmm. hey, you're 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 wasting his talents playing in the Western or in the American Hockey League. Okay, a million percent. Okay, even though that he's that young. Okay, I'd bring, I'd make I would make room because for him. you could make a case that. Your path was to eventually back up Mika Kippersoff. And yes. we can get into the whole Phil Sovey conversation. In <laughs> yeah. But you know that once you got to that, that was it. The tap's getting turned off, yep. right? Yep. Like, d- dude has more wins than most goalies have starts in that league. It's crazy. Can he go from being that minute muncher 
to backing up Markstrom. And now, now Markstrom's not Kippersoff. I grant you that. And he's not coming off a great year, and we'll get to that in a second. But he's also $6 million, so you th- at, at least at the beginning, you think he's going to get the bulk of the work. For sure. But now he's going to be in the next part of his career where you're not just going to phase him into being a number one goaltender in the National Hockey League. You're going to start with Markstrom. Mm-hmm. If he falters again like he did last year, mm-hmm. you're going to have more confidence to put Wolf in. And you're going to have to let him falter a little bit too because he may not come... You know, him being kind of an underdog his whole career, a late draft pick, you know, coming in and working his way up and being as phenomenal as he is. There's always pressure, but you're coming, you're starting kind of at the bottom of the mountain and you're starting to work your way up. Yeah. Right. Whereas there's a lot of guys that come in and I'm on the opposite trend where I came in as a top draft pick and I essentially worked my way down. You know what I mean? Like things just didn't go according to plan. And that's not me playing a small violin here. It's just, it's two different perspectives from, from, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we could get into a whole conversation about what the pressure of being a first round pick is. Right. Ask Eric Nystrom, ask Brent Cron, because you guys went through it. Right. Right. And so you see, and it's that, real. A hundred percent it is. But, yep. but because he's done so well in a short amount of time, you're almost waiting for him to have a bit of an obstacle, right? And, and, and the consistency is, is the main thing that they look for in goaltenders. Can we count? Like, look, look, look at UC Soros. Yes. Right? Little guy. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, he's a little guy, little guy. And, and they have to prove every night that they're, that mm-hmm. they're worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and Dustin Wolf has proved every night that he's worth it. And I think that at the start of next season, you make room for him, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Well, be moving Vladar. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, you make room for him, and you and you, the way that they've stuck with Markstrom of last year. I mean, I know that's contractually the big money. He's your number one guy. He falters off the gate. You give Dustin Wolf a bit of time to to, to work his way through it. I honestly think right now you got to keep him moving because if you keep him back in the American League, yes, you're, mentally what, what you're going to. What can happen there? Let's say let's say they keep Vladar and they keep Markstrom and they put him back and he's going to play a bunch. What what could happen with that? Mentally, you, you get you you just become very frustrated and you sit there and like, well, I've kind of done everything I can at this league and you're still putting me back here. I want to be in the big club. I want to be in the big show. And you start to. Negative self-talk your way a little bit. Or your, your performance could suffer because you don't want to be there. I don't want to be in the American Hockey League. I've, I've done it. I've done it all. Why am I not in the National Hockey League? And there's a, a, multiple, a multitude of reasons for that. Like contractually, for example, right? They got starters. But mentally, you can really get yourself into a bad spot. There's been plenty of players, not even just in the goaltending position. Oh, I was going to say, Matty Phillips is in the right. exact same But shoot. they're just like, what, yeah. else, what else do I have to do to get an opportunity, right? Yeah. What else? Trade me then. Get rid of me. Trade yeah. me. Oh, we're not going to trade. You're too good. Yeah. Or we're going to sit here and let you rot. And, and then we're going to go, oh, they'll come down and say, well, you got to be mentally tough. This is just, this is, this is the rigors of playing professional sports. You know, there's ups and downs. But By great. the way, this isn't Brent making something up. This is real. Yeah. Oh, a million percent. Yes. Right. And it's like, that's the thing. You, you compare yourself to your peers, right? You're mm-hmm. competitive. You, you know, I, I remember being in Omaha and having Tom Webster come down. Remember old Webby? Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Awesome guy. Absolutely. And I remember him sitting on the bench with me and, uh, you know, we were chatting about goaltenders, you know, he was kind of, Pekka Rene was playing in the league and yep. Corey Crawford and yep. uh, Ryan Miller was in Rochester. And he just, you know, like, what do we got to do to kind of get you to that that next level, that, you know, that Ryan Miller level, that, you know, that Pecker in a, whatever, right? Yeah. And, it, and in jest, because Webby was awesome, I said, well, trade Kippersoff, and then I can go and play and figure it out. And he laughed at me really hard, and then he said, no, really. <laughs> and uh, and, and in my, for my mindset, I worried, not worried, but I focused too much on what others were doing. You know, I played with Cam Ward in the lockout year, Yep. right? And so everybody in the lockout year, you know, whatever, 05 or whatever it was, some great teams, you know, like Patrice Bergeron's playing in Providence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Camilleri's in Manchester and uh, Jeff Carter and uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But all these guys, it was a great league. And Cam Ward had an unbelievable, he played 50 games. I played 35. Yep. Great, 
great season. The next year, he just goes straight to Carolina. They didn't have, they had Martin Gerber and him. Yep. That was the way it was from the end of the season. This is what we're doing, right? And he he had his ups and downs through his that season. And then Gerber got sick in the first round. And Cam went in and was lights never, out the, and yeah. never let go. Never let go. Right? Yeah. And I always thought that from my personal, from my perspective, I was like, well, you know what, that's, that's, it's, it's awesome that he got his opportunity and he ran with it. You like to see guys that mm-hmm. get in and get their opportunity. Mm-hmm. But Kippersoff was too damn good and too healthy. Mm-hmm. So every training camp that I would have, no matter how good I would play, it, you're just, we're not going to have you on the bench to play eight games. And that's when Kippersoff, he was playing 72 games, I think, or 70 I know, games, right? He was. 75 Absolutely games, right? He so was. he's like, Daryl would have it. And, and I can't say I disagree with him. You know, he'd say like, we're not going to have you just sit here and waste away on the bench. And in my mind, I'm like, let me waste away on the bench. I want to be in the national. And, yeah. But bird's eye view, it makes more sense for your guy to be playing. Because he says, you know, if, if he does go down, we're going to call, you know, you or Curtis McElhinney up and you're going to play. Right. You're like, if he ever gets hurt. Right. Which he didn't. Which for he seven didn't. Years. For seven years. Seven years. years yeah. He got hurt. So you got a guy like Wolf who's done He's just blown the doors off of everything that he's done, and we we see this last four years. Mm-hmm. You know, like wow, he's it's you know he's obviously gone through a lot to get here. Right? We don't see that. We just see that we were getting the benefit of how good he is. But you send him back again, it's like well, oh, and then what are they gonna say? Oh, go out and win the Calder Cup. Then you, you know, then you can come back and talk to us, right? It's like, yeah. well, how, how much how much stuff are you gonna be putting in front of me before you actually give me a chance? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and eventually after that, well, I, I would no matter what I do, it's not going to matter. Yeah. So let me just play out my career here. Your play starts to dwindle. You don't give a shit, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Kate. Well, you know, and then you get a chance someplace else. By the way, uh, no, the goalie's brother Ty doesn't like it when we swear. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's okay. right. Yeah, that's good. That's just go. saying. I'll, I'll you know to, Ty, and you know Noah. You know what? Yeah. And, and he uh, he. Uh, He's competitor out there. Oh, yeah, yes. And I don't want to have to face that music. No, no I'm, no, sorry, I'm sorry, Ty. Point, I'm sorry, Ty. Point that out, yeah, Ty. We my got bad. your back, buddy. My bad. We got your back. My bad. I was getting a little heated there. Don't <laughs> yeah. don't come <laughs> track me down. <laughs> it scares me, you know. Oh, it should. Yeah. Um, okay, let's leave Wolf because I think you've said it. I think we're all in the same boat. Kids got to play now. Separate him, Markstrom Vladar. How do you go from Jennings esque? to bottom of the, the, the barrel in one year with Daryl Sutter as your coach and his frame of reference on how the game is played? I think Markstrom had a lot to prove last season. Mm-hmm. And when you come in with a mentality that you have a lot to prove, you are ready to play every night. And this season, he came in off one of the best years of his career, if not the a- best. Absolutely, right? yeah. How do you maintain that? Right? How do you keep that level? How do you keep that level? Because you know what? I, I know if I'm playing Mario Kart with my kids and I'm in second place and I got my eye on first place, I know exactly where I have to go every time to, to pass that person. Yeah. But now when I'm leading that group, mm-hmm. how do I stay there? Because there's always people nipping at your heels. Well, that would be the turtles. Exactly. Like, you, yeah, you, the Koopas, the Troopas, whatever they're called, right? Right. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. We just this is Mario why we bring you on for these <laughs> analogies that everybody can yeah. fully understand. Right. And and so you sit there and it, and, it, and being a starting goaltender is a mentality. It's a it, it's a mentality, right? So I would marvel at guys that could play every game. Like a, I mean, I'm going back, but like Shane Bandera that played yes, in the, the Red Deer Rebels. Yeah, absolutely. There were 72 games that we would play in that season. Shane would play 68 every mm-hmm. year. Brent Sutter would throw him back out there, and he would go out there, and he wasn't always the best, but he was always good enough. Yep. Right. Yep. And so you know, like Henrik Lundqvist, he could play a ton of games, right? You got a guy like Luongo, he could play a ton of games. 
Um, Vasilevsky is probably the best example right now of a goaltender that can play a boatload of games yep. and, and be, sure. be at his right. Yep. And so that mentality, not everybody's got that mentality. Jonathan Quick, too, in, in his prime, right? Mm-hmm. He could play a million games. And yep. He played for Daryl. I don't think Markstrom has that mentality yet. And I think this season is a bit of a kick in the butt for him just to be that guy, right? I think I would have liked to have seen the Flames give Ladar a bit more uh, opportunity when he was playing as well as he was and Markstrom was tripping over for, himself. We forget that sometimes. The Ladar was setting a record there at one yes. point, right, for points. 100% he was. He tied yeah. the record, right? Yep. right? And and so I wouldn't... Easy to say now, but I've said this throughout the whole season. I would have given Vladar, even if he played bad. You know, he back-to-back, back, okay, second game you played bad, you're going back in for the third game. Let Markstrom push for that starting job again. I think, because that's another way to motivate guys. It sucks, but you don't yeah, want to lose yeah. your starting job. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I also can appreciate what Daryl did, trying to put fight, help him fight through it, because you know what? Once you start playing every game in a row, they all become one game. Like, mm-hmm. for me... Mm-hmm. Ryan McGill did that for me in Omaha where, you know, it was me and Curtis Mackley in my first year. And, you know, I play two or three, Mack would play one or two, two mm-hmm. or three, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I was never, I wasn't good for the first, um, you know, half of the season. I was inconsistent. I played some good games, some bad games. McElhinney was consistent. Mm-hmm. And then Ryan McGill came to me and says, you know what? You are going to play the next 20 games in a row. And I think I played 19 of 22. Right. And in my mind, I'm like, well, it, I, well, I need a break. Like, you know, I'm not doing good. Like, I need to reset. I need to refocus. And it was just, you're in. He says, you're in until I tell you you're not. So you're playing every game, just so you know. And by about game 12, yeah. I was like, oh. I actually, I, I, I remember getting a goalie of the month that month I, I, on the tail end of all those games in a row. Mm-hmm. And the team was playing great too. But I also just... I got comfortable with the mentality. It's like, I'm, yeah, I'm going in every day. As opposed to looking at the board, oh, who's starting tonight? Who's starting tonight, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's it's a mentality. And not every great goaltender has a starter's mentality, even though they have the starter's skill set. Yeah. And Markstrom doesn't have the starter's mindset yet. He's got the skills, but he doesn't have the it between the ears. And I, he not saying he can't get there, but I think that's what this season showed. You mentioned Omaha and Ryan McGill. Can you tell me a story about a car ending up on the top of the building? <laughs> no, I don't know that one. I don't. You don't, wanna, you don't know. That I don't one? know that one. Maybe, or I've forgotten, but I don't know that one. I thought you were the one that told me that. No, maybe because McGill's a prankster. Yes, he is. But right? I don't remember any of that. Maybe yeah, I was, maybe it was af- maybe it was after you. You could have been Quad City, or was it Omaha? Oh, I thought it was Omaha, but because I was there for the two years in Omaha, and I don't remember. So, folks, we don't know this story, but there's a really <laughs> good one about a car ending up on the top of the arena. Uh, all right, <laughs> news of the week. Uh, Brad Living walks away. Yeah. We had Peter Mar on before. It's never happened with the Flames before. They wanted him. They offered him. Uh, Pete said they offered him two contracts. Um, there's a lot that has been made about his relationship with Daryl. We know you played with Daryl. We know what Daryl is all about. What do you make of the situation the local hockey heroes find themselves in? You know what? Um, it's not surprised. I, 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 That's I, the part... That, why is everybody in the last 24 hours going, this is surprising? Well, because well, he's surprising. He's, he's going to lose that battle, unfortunately. And, and, his, and, and Who's losing? Brad. As yeah, far, yeah, 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 yeah. He okay. is. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Be- uh, because it, it, 
you could just you can just see it, right? So so Daryl comes in. You got the ownership group. You got Murray Edwards at the head of that ownership group, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's a very successful person. All those guys at the top are super super successful. They demand lots of the people. I've met a lot of super successful people. Not all of them have the best people skills on the planet. They demand a lot out of the person, sure. and you don't. Make they don't of- know why you can't do it like that. Right. It's why superstars aren't great coaches sometimes. Agreed. Right. Yeah. And then you got a guy like Daryl, who's who's an excellent coach, who holds people accountable, who's hard yep. on guys, um, makes people uncomfortable and you see that from the top. And this is once again, my opinion, folks, nothing more. No, that's, a, that's why and, we're right and on. So you see those big wheels up top saying, that's the guy that I want running my team. Cause he's not letting those entitled yeah, so you know, $25 million yeah. guys run around. Like it's a country club. Cause I started from nothing and I built it to this. And that's exactly what these guys are going to do. So Daryl does that to them. But then when he kind of does that to the, to the new age group, you get, People feeling uncomfortable. You mm-hmm. get people, you know, you get a, uh, and then that's not totally on Daryl, but you get Huberto's point drop. It's trying to figure out himself where he's going to go. Markstrom struggles this season. The, there's no captain on the team, which I would just. I bristle at that. I really do. You know, and, yeah. and, 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 and so Brad's a guy that is, is for, for, I've actually got to know him, you know, well over the years. And everybody right off the top of the bat says, just what a quality human being yeah. that guy is, yeah. right? Yeah. So, great guy. Yep. Awesome guy. He'll let, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yep. He is in a fight. I don't think he knew he couldn't win. As far as... You don't think he knew he couldn't win, or you think he figured out he Sorry, couldn't. he figured out he couldn't win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, if you're going to constantly have to battle to say, hey, you know what, this is, we're calling these guys up, or we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and it's just met with friction and mm-hmm. frustration and no and, this, and, and all that stuff, after a while, it's like, sure, you know what, here are the keys. Take the car. Oh. I'll go find another car, right? And that's just the way it goes, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yep. Um, I would have liked for him to stay. I, I think he, he's, he's, like, he's, he's very well respected. Uh, people would go to the, through the wall for that guy. Um, but now here we are. So there's no point in saying coulda, woulda, shoulda. And, and like, I think he just knew he wasn't going to win that battle, and so he chose to move on. I, I, a couple of things that I have said that, you know, I'm, I'm able to sit here and look at this camera and talk to the people that are watching and, and say what I want, and I don't get a lot of pushback. So I'd like to offer a couple things to you to see if you disagree with me in the way I approach this. Daryl, I just think Daryl has doesn't understand that nowadays a coach has, has a responsibility to develop young players. I think when Daryl was in his prime winning, and it's not that long ago, five oh. or six years ago, I think you you developed them in the minor leagues. They came up as finished products. I think the salary cap, the stagnant salary cap, all of those sort of things, I think it's forced coaches now. You have to do some development of young players at the NHL level. And he seemed very reluctant to do that. I can be proven wrong, completely proven wrong, but Matt Phillips will go to a different organization next year, and I expect he'll be an everyday NHL player. Yes. And for a team that missed the playoffs, the way they missed the playoffs, you know, Overtime, shootouts, one goal. A guy that's offensive should have found a home here. Should yes. have been played here. And I, I again, I think if it, you know if Daryl Mia culpas and goes, hey, I'm going to have to adapt to that. No problem. Yeah, cool. But I think that was the shortcoming this year is just refused to develop the young guys at the NHL level. And then you got a guy like Toffoli who played his first season with Daryl in LA and and won a cup, I believe. Right. That's yeah. kind of how that worked. And right. And, but didn't have the same role as he had this year oh, with Daryl. Oh, oh, a million percent, yeah. right? And it's like yeah. you got to earn your keep. you got to earn your way. Yeah. And then we'll get to you when we're ready for you, not when you're ready for us. Right, right, right. 
And I don't disagree with you for a second. You have to, it, it sucks because you have to swallow your pride. You have to swallow your ego a little bit too. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, bravado mm-hmm. and, and a lot of uh, chest beating when it comes to, I guess, you know, any industry that you're in. Pro sports is obviously at the top yep. of that list where, hey, you hired me for a reason. You let me do it my way or I'm like, beat it, yep. right? Right. Yep. yep. And this is the way I've done it. And now I got, you know, now I have two cups too. So you, how are you going to argue with me? I've did it before and I'm going to do it again. And this is how I do things. So don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But there are, like you said, salary cap, right? Like yep. you got to find ways to make it work. You can't just do what you want, right? right. You can't, you know, and, and Lucic playing all those minutes that he got this year. Why, why couldn't you put Phillips? Because you get pushed around. Right. Because you get run out of the building. Here. Right. I don't think so. The game doesn't play. The, the game doesn't work like that anymore, right? You don't get run out of the building. To me, it's the, it's the Richie part yeah. that you know. You know, and again, I have nothing against these guys. I, unfortunately, it's not their fault. No, no, no. It's not their fault. But there needed to be a way to play with a little more youth and a little more piss and vinegar. Yes, and be prepared to lose with it, but also be prepared to win with it. Yes, and and that you you have the young guys come up. They're going to make mistakes, yeah. but they're going to have a ton of energy. And also, yeah. you know what? Hey, like. Guys that have been around for a long time, yep. it's a job. Like, yep. you know, after you've, you know, played 14 years, 50, 10 years, eight years in the National Hockey, doing something for so long, it's like, oh, you know, I just, I'm, you're privileged, but you you're, you live it. But so, it's all you know, too. Right. It, it's you all live it. you it, know. It's a job, yeah, right? That's so right. So you can run into somebody at a restaurant and say, oh, you're so lucky you play in the National Hockey. Yeah, you're right. It's afforded me a great lifestyle. I, I love sport. I love everything about it. But you do it every day. It's a job. That's right. So you So you have a kid that's like, I want to be here every day and I want to show you how hard I want. And also like, it, it can help guys that have been around a long time too. say, Oh man, look at him out there. Like he's just, he's loving it. You don't think Pelche helped Huberto? No kidding. Right. We saw it. No kidding. But here we are. Um, your former teammate, Craig Conroy, uh, <laughs> number one on the top. I, and my position is, is not Craig. It, it, the question shouldn't be, is Craig Conroy right for the Calgary flames is the Calgary Flames right for Craig Conroy. He's, what else is he supposed to do? I know. He's 12 and a half years doing this. Yeah. He's done every part of what an assistant general manager can do. You know, he's been part of world championships and I believe an Olympic program with Team USA. To me, he's qualified. Oh, he's, a, he's qualified, but I wouldn't want to take the job if I was him here. Why? Because of Daryl. I wouldn't want to play for him and then have to be his, not boss, but Daryl knows what, there's, there's, he's going to be met with a ton of friction too right off the bat. Right? Do you not think that? Craig, oh, I think, uh, uh, but is, I don't think, this is what I think. If Craig Conroy takes this job, Craig Conroy's convinced he can work with Daryl. Agreed. And maybe he can. And I'm not saying he can't, but I'm just. Yeah, no, no, no. For, I know. For, for what I would, if, if I yep, was him, yep, yep. I would say, no, thanks. I'm going to go someplace else. Yep. Because, I mean, I only know Craig as an awesome teammate, a great guy. Uh, he's got his opinions. He's a smart guy. Very smart. He's very intelligent. And I just know him as very affable, easy going. Oh, sure. Hey, guy, you know, and, and you talk with him and then you actually get serious and you talk with him. And the guy knows what he's doing. I wouldn't use the word cutthroat, but he gets very serious. hundred percent. And, and yeah. he could make, I believe he can make decisions. He's just waiting to make yes. decisions. Agreed. Agreed. And, and almost like uh, he's got a ton of enthusiasm and, and he, much like Wolf, deserves a shot at, he's been, he's paid his dues. Oh, if, absolutely. If, if we're going to go back and say, if you put your time in at every level to get this job, by by that merit, Wolf should be on the team next year, and Craig Conway should be the GM here if he wants it. I'm going to leave it there. I don't know what else there is to say. Yeah, what what are you up to? You got anything to plug? You got any new movies? Got an album coming out? <laughs> you know, you, you you're good. At, you're good like this. You know, you really help me out. And every time you say, <laughs> "Can you plug somebody or anything you want to do?" I'm like, my mind just goes. 
Well, you got an event coming up, don't you? I do. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you do that then? Yeah. For the Headwater Learning Center. Yes. 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 Wow. It's like you wrote this down or it's something. It's almost as if I know what I'm doing. Wow. You know, they, they approached me and uh, asked if I could be the MC for the The MC. For their, not the speaker. No. The MC, the host. The MC. The man of the hour. And and I I I put it up on my Twitter. I retweeted it, so you can go to the link. I don't, I'm don't. i completely unprepared for any of this stuff here. And they said, hey, we want you to be the MC." And I'm like, you understand I've never done this before. Right. And then that's when I turned to you, my good buddy, Rob Kerr, and I said, what am I doing here? And uh, You've got all the tools. Too. And, and I'm, I'm jacked. I'm absolutely jacked. When is it? I want to say I want to say, I want to say June twelfth. It's in your calendar, right? It, I, I would hope so, but we don't have time. Would you, to do that. Would you share it on social tonight yeah, for everybody? I will. I will absolutely do that. You okay. know, I, we got a big audience today, so I'd like the audience to see it. Yeah, I absolutely will. Okay, I'll retweet it again. So we, we can do that. The the Headwater Learning Center, the the charity charity golf tournament at the Glencoe that I am emceeing. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely uh, zero information on it whatsoever, so I will post it tonight. Hey, it's early, dude. It is. You know, there's other things going on. There is. Okay. There is, and I want. We we did a photo shoot too. Like they, we did a bunch of like, uh, they put a green screen behind me. Oh no! And I and they and I have just some, like I, the I, photos I, that the barn burner guys got of you. Yes. Oh, those were terrible. <sighs> Is it that kind of photo shoot? No, it was. Well, it was more of a video. Like I'm promoting stuff. I'm talking about okay. things, right? And I had to bring right. my golf bag and pretend that I'm golfing in jeans, essentially. Where were you when you had your golf club stolen? Oh man! Oh, so, that was the Team so, Canada alumni tournament. No, 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 no. That was uh, basically. No, they didn't steal it there, but you had it stolen before that. Yeah, well, I got my hole in one with the, at the Calgary Flames golf tournament. Yeah, and then I. That's right. It was uh, September, and then I had a. Because what did you win for that? Ten grand in season tickets. Ten to the, grand and season, season tickets to the Calgary, Calgary Flames, and uh, you know it was, it was so all you're skill. a season ticket holder. You should have your opinions heard. Well, I, absolutely, <laughs> right? And you know what? And and I've just missed the hole in one every year to renew them that I that I've missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I know what? It's so funny. It's actually a bad idea for me to have those tickets. Yeah. Because I give them away to everybody. Right. So I remember I, I gave it to my kids auction for school for whatever, sure. for a game. Yeah. And then I gave them to a buddy. And the, same, to buddy. The same tickets. <laughs> for the same game. For the same game to six different people. So yeah, that, that could be a problem. Right. So I. So was that a quick call to Tanya? I need help? Yeah. Yeah. Right away. Because yeah. I, I gave it to actually to one of my buddy's son and his buddy too, right? And so it was like, hey, uh. Carter, the tickets don't work. I'm like, well, that's that's that never happens. You know, what? let me make one quick phone call. I'll get that sorted for you. I apologize, guys. And then they're like, well, they've already been scanned. I'm like, it took me two days later to figure out that I had pooched that one pretty good. But uh, with great power comes great responsibility, Rob. Absolutely, and, yeah. it does. Um, you'll also be appearing at the uh, Masters uh, annual Masters Golf Tournament. Yeah, aren't you? Oh yeah, for every year. Flames alumni. That is, that is literally May 25th. May 25th. Is it 25th? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I got a bit of a favor to ask you. Anything, anything you need. Uh, the talking goalie was supposed to be there? Yeah. Can't be there. <gasps> the plan is right now, you think I know what I'm, you're, I'm about to say, but I'm not. Oh. The plan right now is the legend, Noah the goalie, <gasps> and Harrison the tender. Oh, man. Right? Yes. That's the plan right now. That, that is the plan. That's the plan. Yes. Yes. So I need you to check in on him. Yeah, uh, for, for one million percent. Okay. That is great because yeah. they, they, you know what? Not only did they blow the doors off me in the game there a couple weeks ago, 
Now they're just stealing all the thunder. They're stealing all the yeah, thunder. Now they're, they're not emceeing anything yet. Not yet. yet. But that's coming. That's coming. I got to be careful here now, right? Because these guys, they're, they're, they're nipping at the heels they here now. They are nipping at your heels. Oh, boy. Croner, you're the best. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Brad Cron, everybody. Love it. Uh, brought to you by the Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street and Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's, uh, just down from Windsport. And not, hey, listen, not just skis and snowboards on sale right now. They've got their winter stuff. There's still snow in the mountains. Might not be for much longer, but there's still most snow in the mountains. So check them out, Ski Seller Snowboard. Dot com. Uh, time now for the final mile. A uh, couple things. One, this is really cool. Uh, Hockey Calgary held its uh, awards ceremony this past Friday. Thanks to Cami Kepke. She hosted. Oops. Um, don't worry about that. That's okay. Uh, anyway, one of the awards, the Executive Director Award uh, from Hockey Calgary, two years ago I was uh, honored to have received it. This year, and I think it's Simons Valley, and I apologize, but a gentleman named Balve Verdi won that award. Balve Verdi, but I believe is Simons Valley. Balvinder, Balve and I, went to high school together 40 years ago in Edmonton. Just think about that for a second. In the span of two years, a span of three years, two guys from McNally High won the Executive Director's Award for Hockey Calgary. That's freaky. Freaky. All right. Um, oh, by the way, one of my passions right now in a group that I'm proud to, uh, to work for and help is Parachutes for Pets. They've got a golf term. Everybody knows I am a big golfer. Like, I love golf. You know, I would never lie to you. But the only thing I love more than golf is golf for a great cause. And it is Parachutes for Pets, our first annual Tee It Up for Pets charity golf tournament. Uh, we've got a, a sale going on. Or a sale. Well, an early bird uh, two twenty-five per player. Breakfast, the whole shenanigans, swag bag, prizing, dinner, the whole nine yards. But it's going to help Parachutes for Pets, which is a local group that helps pets of homeless people, uh, of seniors, of veterans, kids in foster care. These are the pets that are falling through the cracks. So it's imperative that we raise some money. Can you put that one back back up there for just a sec, Gav? Uh, anyway. Uh, if you can help them out, go to parachutesforpets.com or the QR codes right there. Come back and listen to the podcast and grab it. Four person Texas scramble. There's going to be a really cool connect uh, connector to this. We got a hook coming, but anyway, help them out. Uh, they could really use it. And last, uh, but certainly not least, we've talked a lot about uh, the change for the Calgary Flames and whether it was necessary or not, why it happened, all those things. Who will be? I just want to speak to the man. Uh, Brad for living for a second, not as a general manager, but just as my friend. And I have uh, very honored to call uh, Brad for living a friend of mine. Um, I'm lucky enough to be involved in some really, really cool things uh, with Hockey Calgary, with kids sport, with uh, heroes, lots of things. And it's really, as you guys know, really important for me that um, you know, that we help and, and give back and, and particularly leadership skills and things like that. And Brad was always the first person I turned to. We had lunches, we had breakfasts, and I was always bouncing. Nobody that I know reads more books about leadership, about millennials, about just the, the soft skills and is, is more invested in it than Brad for living. And, and Brad was always kind enough to, to, 
help. And I don't ever remember asking Brad if he could attend an event and he said he couldn't or he, it wasn't, he made himself available. This past October, we did our uh, Hockey Inspires Leadership Day on, on trauma and form coaching. And I went to him and I said, this is what I'm doing. He says, I'm in, when is it? So he, he was in before he even knew when it was. Um, he's also a guy, and, and I point to Will Nault and Wes Gilbertson. I, I retweeted a couple social media posts. Say what you will, we, this is a business and sometimes it's a cutthroat business, but Brad was always the first to be a human being. And Will talked about when his mom passed away, Brad reaching out. Will talked about his dad passing away uh, and, and Brad reached out. All kinds of good things and bad things in my life have happened and the first guy always to reach out is Brad. And he's always been there. I was fortunate to uh, work in the same building with him for four years. I don't think we ever talked hockey when we ran into the hallways. Uh, I think we were always just talking about um, life, family, and, and leadership and th- those types of things. I am a big, huge, using a wrestling term, mark for Brad True Living. Now, it's a business, and he will go somewhere else, uh, and he will be a GM where he chooses to be, or he'll work in hockey wherever he chooses to be. The Calgary Flames will go on. They will get a new general manager. They will play again next year. All of those sort of things are going to happen. Who's right? Who's wrong? That's for other people to debate. I just want to take a moment. Those things you hear about Brad, when you hear the media talking about him being a good human being, I'm just telling you, if you trust me, if you, if you think what I'm saying is legit, I'm telling you, this guy was on another level. He just was on another level. Um, I texted him on Monday, and within a minute and a half, he texted me back. And uh, he's just always been that way. But a couple of times where I've had issues or struggles or whatever, one of the first guys always to reach out is Brad for Living. That's what you need to know. Peter Marr, Brent Cron, this was a fun show. We got another one for you coming up on Friday. Eric DeHatchuk from The Athletic will join us next week. Chevy and Nasty. And he's back, folks. At least he's back with me, Bruce Dobigan. Really, really excited about that. Thanks to Gavin. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to um, Princey. Can't wait to see you guys again on Friday. And one, one last time, thanks to Cammie and thanks to Danny for taking care of the show on Monday. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you soon.